everyone, and welcome to the Legion with live stream. Here it is, the 17th of August, 2019, episode number 226. Welcome! I am your host, Alex Garthon Marsh, and with me is our new special guest, Duncan Idaho! Time to do the Kermit. Yay! <laughs> oh, yeah, 1970s TV reference. Yeah. <laughs> um and as you can see a cat is trying to bite my neck that's okay it's nice it's nice it's nice. yep it's it's foundry roundtable judge cat so people <laughs> can finally oh she's appeared on the live stream before she's a headrest at one point that's true so duncan how are you how did you come to be here today um i came to be here today because you said you needed a co-host and i just said yes and then i came here and then i'm apparently talking right now i was hoping you'd it, it's it's strange and confusing dramatic like there was a quest for seven rings and you traveled deep across the lands nope i mugged those people took the ring and then sold it for booze money <laughs> so they so you obviously belong here at the legion of myth yes uh, mark wants <laughs> to know if your cat is a vampire or a werebeast um probably a werebeast like isis on star trek um yeah same <laughs> well, she wasn't really a werebeast they never fully explained that yeah yeah i actually have not seen that episode what i've missed out on parts of the original series well it's because you're not as old as i am uh yeah i mean there were on, like i had vhs's and then i've occasionally caught it on cable yeah. i do have access to the entire streaming but i've never made it through a complete like one like start to finish on the original series so some of the episodes I've skipped over, like the ones that are in a different format than I typically like for sci-fi, because some of those I really love, um, especially the big concept stuff or the triple episode, because that's just right that's in my just wheelhouse. Yeah. But then though, there's kind of the ones that are sort of in between that, that are doing like the old God stuff or doing some odd time travel episodes. And those never really clicked with me. So even like the Guardian Forever one, um, that was just like, yeah, it's sort of like, oh God, the it's one a neat that, episode. The one... I, I think that Harlan Ellison is overrated. I said it. <laughs> um, I haven't read enough of this stuff to really comment. Uh, it's not because, bad. Yeah. I just think he's overrated. Yeah, he does a lot of like deep dives from what I've seen of him in a documentary about Harlan Ellison, which is um, my, my most of my experience, but he's very much in the sort of the, um, oh, I don't want to say Spider Robinson. Um, I like Spider Robinson. He gets weird. Yeah, I, I love his uh, Callahan's Cross Time Saloon. Cause yeah, it's those weird. were fun. Those were fun. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Oh, who am I blanking on? Um Harlan, uh, Har not Harlan Ellison. Um, Arthur C. Clarke? Not Arthur C. Clarke. Um, he had that, oh God, he, he was born, like he was born several miles away from where I used to live. Oh, I don't know. Um, was in Illinois, uh, ha had that one. Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. No, not Abraham Lincoln. Oh. Um, he had that one uh, TV special series that was basically a bunch of short films. And they kind of, they were very Twilight Zone-y. Oh, gosh. Not what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. He also had, like, Into the Unknown or something. Uh, he was the one where, they, like, Shatner guest starred on one of these. It was, 
oh god my younger brother's gonna kill me about this one because i'm just completely blanking on the name um but yeah the client like it's sort of like that disturbing like kind of that unsettling style of sci-fi yeah versus something that was more of an asimov or larry niven right i'm trying i'm trying to remember the name dang it that's okay mark mark help us out here you gotta know who we're talking about he doesn't want to help He's uh, us. He did uh, like there's an Android story, not Tom, Tom Cruise, <laughs> not Tom Cruise. I did uh, like that film he was in where he was time traveling. That was good. Uh, I am, I am gonna look this up right now because this is just. It's driving you crazy. It sounds like me and we're talking to Heathen Dog. Goes, All right, I'm looking it up. Go to the internet. It's here for you. Yeah, uh, you're not helping me right now, internet. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to remember the name of the series that it was that he did. Uh, okay, so hey, okay. Fabian, it's good to see you. He's trying to remember our, the name of an old science fiction author. Ray, there we go, Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury. Rod Serling. Oh, close. There we go. We've spent five minutes to get Ray getting Bradbury. to just to be able to exclaim Ray Bradbury. Hey, I declare I declare this live stream a complete success, and we can shut off now. All right. <laughs> Play the oh, hey, Green. Oh, yeah, I should probably ret uh, retweet this. <laughs> hey, Green. Yeah. All right. So, on coming up on the show today, we're going to have Duncan Idaho's Neon Spotlight in the Spotlight Star Trek Online. In Garthon's comic poll, we're going to talk about Miles Morales number nine, uh, Spider Man number nine, Events Leviathan, because that's a dumb title. Why not just Leviathan? But no, it's Event Leviathan. Yeah, every Bradbury's TV show was good. So was Alfred Hitchcock's. That was a good show. There's some really good episodes that Alfred Hitchcock presents. I really like the Ray Bradbury one, where it was just like the entire... It wasn't a sci-fi story. It was just a really adorable story about this guy going to Ireland and participating in this really esoteric um, race out of a theater once a certain um, the performance ended. It had absolutely no stakes to it whatsoever. It was just an interesting character story. And for some reason, I just liked a lot it was no weird. i mean hitchcock showed you that too a lot of times it would just be like some sort of character piece it'd be interesting anyway and then finally we'll do Swordmaster number two uh in the rng we're going to talk about why your fandom is wrong uh-oh I, I i duncan isn't of that polarizing opinion except actually i was this week yes you are yeah i was this week because i got also, really tired of your fandom's wrong as well Okay. Well, uh, my fandom's about tardigrades. How can that be wrong? Everything is wrong. No. <laughs> we'll discuss that. That's why. That's okay. why it's the thing. You know okay. me. I'm. I'm gentle in nature. It's not heathen yeah. segment. It's mine. No. No. Or yeah. God. Me and Max Lee Allen on the stream would be. <laughs> one of us would end up breaking down in tears. Probably uh, me. Max would just you know shut you off. Or, or I don't know. I, I maybe just wouldn't say much. I almost needed a mute button, Max, last time. It almost happened. <laughs> uh, still got to catch up on that one. I got through the first part. All right. For everyone, well, so Gen Con 2020 is coming to the ticket registration is in January. The activity sign-up is in May of 2020. That's next year. That's coming very quickly. The event is in August of 2020. Start planning now to join the Legion Myth at Gen Con 2020. Garthon will be there. Heathen Dog will be there. Max Leo will be there. Elgarian will be there. Many people will be there who aren't in the Legion Myth as well. We think other people are invited. So you could be there as well. Have some great fun. Lots of crazy stuff happens there. Go there. Go there. Be there. Remember, January. Take registration. Save your money. Green Dragon says, Jack has back here. You tense every year. Oh, cool. We could see you there, Green Dragon. That yeah. would be awesome. Yeah. That would be very awesome. Here. 
So if you want to join our discussions, go to our Discord. It's there. There's tabs says Gen Con. Streaming schedule, Algarian Streets, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., Shroud the Avatar. Mondays, he's playing Left 4 Dead with Heathen Dogs at 6.30 p.m., and Tuesday through Sunday, he's streaming Shroud the Avatar at 6.30. Well, he kind of hasn't been doing the afternoons recently, because, you know, stuff happens. Well, he, it says it's too hot in his house, because where he's at, they haven't invented air conditioning yet. They have high-speed internet, but not air conditioning. I'm in the middle of Nebraska right now, and I've got AC. Well, he's in Wyoming, and they don't have AC there. Okay. They're, they're too busy building granola trails to the forest. They don't know how to make air conditioning. <sighs> well, there are dinosaur bones there, so they're probably out collecting those all the time. <laughs> That's probably it. He the Dog is streams Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Seven days to die. We're not right now. He's on vacation, but he's coming back soon. Uh, and you can follow him at twitch.tv slash heathendog if it's at the same time as someone else's stream. What else there is AC because he's a cheap <laughs> old guy. That, too. He likes to complain. And he's like, oh, it's too hot in my house. Guess I got to go to the bar. And that's what he does. <laughs> I miss his beard, though. He, I do miss the epic beard. Anyway, but Saturday, now Thursday, he does at 8.30 p.m. Central Time, Empyrean Glax Survival, where he teams up with Garthon and other members of Legion Myth. And we have good times in Empyrean, smashing the bad guys, watching Garthon die asphyxiation because he forgot to refill his oxygen again. And digging other, giant holes. Digging giant holes. Sometimes falling yes. in the holes and injuring themselves. <laughs> yep, and also sometimes getting covered in spiders who have to chase the adventure down the hole. Yes, that's always sad. And Saturday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, the Legion with live stream with Garthon. This week, not with Garthon. This week, Garthon with Duncan. <laughs> this week, not with Heathen Dog. That's right, it's not with Heathen Dog. So, good place to be. Good place to interact. Good place to have fun. And also on Sunday, Garthon plays Final Fantasy 3 at 9 p.m. Central, 10 Eastern. Sometimes I try and start earlier. But we started that just a few weeks ago, and that's been fun. Uh, sitting back, chilling out, playing an old-school game. Marhawken advises shotguns to get rid of spiders. Sadly, at that point, you don't have a shotgun yet. You just run around saying, Ah, oh, please don't eat me. <laughs> you try to negotiate with the spiders Negotiate with the spiders. <laughs> I believe we had a contractual grounds to this area, Mr. Spider. Ah, don't eat the contract! <laughs> so you can join Legion Myth on Discord. Follow us on Twitter at Legion Myth. Tweet us, we'll tweet you. Watch us on YouTube, which is fun to see all of our old videos. Watch us live on Twitch, the best way to interact, to get your names shouted out, like Warhawkman. And you can get our gear at shop.spreadshirt.com slash Legion of Myth. Talk about our goals, we like to talk about our goals, because you got to have goals in life, my friend. Our Twitch follower goal is 1,000. We hit that goal. Thank you. We appreciate that. We will be having a special follower giveaway uh, coming up soon for that, because we hit that. Uh, just subscriber goal. While we did not make our August goal, we're pretty sure it's not going to happen. But we'll see. And uh, we're trying to get 100. We don't have that right now. YouTube subscribers went up 21. So we're now at 1,037 as of this morning. Yes, we are elite now. Uh, we're trying to get 1,500. That's coming. Thank you very much. And Patreon goals stable at 44. Thank you very much, everyone. Just so you know, if we hit these goals, we have special giveaways for everyone in that event. So if we have YouTube subscribers, we give a YouTube giveaway. Twitch subscribers, Twitch giveaway. And if we meet and hold all four goals for three months, they could be non-consecutive, we will give away over 1,000 prizes, including Epic Portrait by me, the Garthon, and he the dog making you your very own Plex server. So let's get those Twitch subs up. Get everything up. Tell everyone. Tell friends, enemies, anyone who has a Prime account. Get in there. Uh, we have over 40 years of content through the live stream, especially anime, comic reviews, game reviews, nerd stuff. Elgari's streaming every day. He the Dog streams his Let's Plays. Garthon is streaming his retro games. I have a full 
playthrough of Yakuza Kiwami, which every time I hear Kiryu-chan, I start crying. Kiryu-chan! Oh, gosh, this traumatized. And Max Leo has his tabletop RPG unboxing videos and his reviews through Earthdown of Fearbird Lands. Team ups as well. So come on, guys. Let's get in there. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for our patrons and Twitch supporters. We really do appreciate it. Especially Gary M. Brian H., thank you so much. Share is Twitch. Thank you ever so much. Top cheers through Twitch is on. Gift search is on. Thank you ever so much. We do appreciate it. And all of our subscribers, thank you ever so much. Rating system, half star, bad. Five star, excellent. Four star. Yeah, Garth gives that a lot because Garth loves a lot of comics. <laughs> All right, full screen. Time for the time for the disclaimer. <sighs> the opinions expressed in this episode are solely the opinions of the individual host or commentator and are not representative of the entire Legion of Myth organization. While we make an effort to provide a family-friendly atmosphere, there may be the occasional use of foul or even offensive language. Thank you for your understanding and continued viewership. Alright, everyone, it's time to join our special guest, Duncan Idaho, as he talks about the Neon Spotlight with Duncan Idaho. I forgot I was first. <laughs> <laughs> so, tonight, we're going to be looking at something very special. It's very near and dear to my heart, so if we could go to the next slide. What we're going to be talking about today is the most wonderful thing in all the universe. It is... I had to wait for this one to actually be able to pronounce it. Neon Genesis Tardigradigalian. Yes, that's right. I've created an entirely new animated series. And, oh, wait a minute. No, I haven't. Aww. So, in lieu of going off the rails completely into my own madness, we're going to go into a small side um, a side alley of my madness to talk about Star Trek Online tonight. And specifically give a total overview of what's going on with the game and some other context to it as well to really sort of give it a proper retrospective um, in light of something, some of the things that have happened this year. So the particulars for this one is that it's not Tardigrade Galleon yet. yet. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. We'll see with the next release. Just say <laughs> See what that. the next update is. <sighs> they are going to be bringing in more Tardigrades. Less um, discovery, more Tardigalian. Tardigrade again. <laughs> Well, where do you think where did Tardigrades come from? Uh, so actually, it's a action MMORPG that's free to play and features this binary mix of ship and infantry combat. So you play in space, you play on the ground, and it has this really awesome style where you, you have these divergent gameplay styles that are both feeding into each other to create a narrative experience very much like you saw in many episodes. It was originally published by Art, uh, Atari and developed um, under that um, under those dark days. Um, uh, so it was under that, or under, um, that roof, uh, up until 2011. And then between 2011 and now it's been published by Perfect World Entertainment and developed, um, through that by Cryptic Studios. And if I recall correctly, it's actually being made was actually quite troubled. There's a whole different studio who was developing the game. Yeah. And that was under Atari. So I forget the studio name who originally helmed it, but Cryptic basically took over its development, I think in sometime in 2008. And then they took a lot of the assets that they had at the time and really kind of pushed it over the finish line. And what they've done since then has really been amazing in how they've been able to make this work in some way so perpetual studios there we go so they're the uh, people who originally had the license but then things happened it moved to cryptic and then cryptic 
developed it and spent more or less the last decade getting it into better and better and better shape. So we'll talk about that. Right, because so, basically what they say, the, the assets they received were completely unplayable. So they really, in a very short amount of time, made a game, could barely use any of the assets, made a totally different game than the other game publisher was making, kicked out the door, and it wasn't bad. No, it wasn't bad at first. And then it went through a series of transitions and it's been gaining ground ever since. Yes. So it was released in February or February 2nd, 2010 and is dead to heathen dog uh, April 11th, 2019. But it's technically ongoing. <laughs> and maybe heathen dog will be back. Who knows? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I think it's going to require road. a little bit. <laughs> so it's been a long road. So it's been a game that was released under difficult circumstances. Yes. Started uh, subscription MMOs, one of the first that went to a free-to-play uh, model, and it's kind of stuck with that ever since. So uh, back in 2012, it went to free-to-play under um, the, basically the Perfect World Entertainment um, uh, oversight. Umbrella, there we go. So, and over that time, it's basically been revamped, 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 and reworked with some of the core systems still there, like customization that hasn't changed a whole lot, but it's just gone through so much. So on the left, we have the original, and then on the right, we've got what it's looking like now, so considerably better. So yes. even though it is from 2010, it is very much a game that you can still jump into, and it feels modern, and it feels good, and so on and so forth. So going on to just sort of an introduction for what we've got going on with this game. Uh, next slide. I'm there. I'm just waiting for the stream to catch up so I can read. Uh, so the year is 2409. So several decades after Star Trek Nemesis and one decade after the Picard series that's going to be coming out I, soon. I have a question. Kind of unrelated, mm -hmm. but related. When did Star Trek stop using star dates? Um, it, They technically still do, but we Star Trek Online made a big thing about 20, like the year. Yeah. Because it's intelligible. Because uh, you can't, yeah. like, sell it on, like, it's Stardate this and this, because Stardates aren't really consistent. So you can find Stardate calculators, but it'll vary from episode to episode. Oh, yeah, the episode, the, especially the original episodes, had no consistency oh, yeah. in Stardates at all. So, I mean, if they're basically writing something in dialogue, they'll use a Stardate. But if they're sort of selling the game, they'll use the year. So the Fair year enough. is 2409. It's several decades after the Nemesis movie, and then one decade after Picard. Um, also, a couple decades after Hobus blew up and everything's gone to pot, basically. So war has been declared. Everyone's mad at everything. So the Klingons have gotten mad at everyone. They've conquered the Gorn. They've out, well, they're, they've allied with the Orions, but then they've declared war on the Federation. The Federation is not happy with the Romulans. Cardassians are kind of on the sidelines. So, and then other Romulans are angry at other Romulans. So it's a lot of conflict built into the setting. It's a lot of stuff that's coming down, and it's in preparation for, guess what? More war, because Ooh. someone's taking this on. So more war is coming. It's a lot of conflict. It's very combat-heavy, which does complement the gameplay pretty well. Well, there have, but, have not been a lot of super successful non-combat MMOs. No. So this one definitely used the setting to sell to upsell what it was going to be delivering in terms of the actual <laughs> gameplay. So in this, you're able to choose your faction between the United Federation of Planets, the Klingon Empire, or the Romulan Republic. Those are your major, major 
um, players in terms of the narrative, in terms of how many ships they have available to use, what they've got for species customization options. But then you've got three more factions, which I like to refer to as the silly factions, because these are very much for spice, flavor, and taking a different approach. So you have two different um, Starfleet factions that start in different eras that eventually work back into 2409. And then you've got the Jem'Hadar, who just come in at the end and then play holodeck simulations for the entire rest of the game. <laughs> it's basically it. I mean, because you sort of get to the point where, like, we're only now going to be starting off in a continuation of where their last episodes ended. And, yeah, they're just going to... They've just been playing in the holodeck this whole time. So the Jem'Hadar found entertainment, and they found a better drug than Ketracel White, and they have not let go of that. So, basically, they discovered karaoke... Yeah, pretty much. And <laughs> so anyway, you've got the you got these different perspectives, and between the main three, the Klingons, the Romulans, and the Federation, um, you have three different intro experiences, which eventually lead into a unified alliance that is then able to proceed through a lot of different story arcs. So moving on um, to the next slide, we're going to be looking at sort of how it proceeds in a very general way. So what Star Trek Online has in a very broad sense is a walking tour of theme story arc. So you'll play through a bunch of missions that are about a particular conflict or about a particular faction that then allows you to proceed through, learn a little bit more about what's going on. You proceed through a minor story arc. And then you also get to see a bunch of cameos that are associated with the um, with that group. So this is one of Star Trek Online's more recent but bigger selling points is that it's brought in a huge amount of actors from the series. So they've got, uh, I think they've now got uh, actors from everyone because they got Jeffrey Combs in. So and Enterprise is now technically covered. Also Daniels. Um, but yeah, they've got most of the cast. They don't have any captains yet. Um, there's, some, but... there's some reason they never had a captain on there. Probably because they want the most money. Yeah, money. That's That's been the explicit reason. It's like, well, we could go for Patrick Stewart, but then we wouldn't be able to afford much of anything else. So, we got and it's Lorca, because that's yeah, how... Yeah, got Lorca. Oh, yeah, they did have Lorca. That's right. So That was cool. Yeah, so Lorca is now the... Er, they're, Aren't they going like to get that. Pike, too? I thought I read they were going to get Pike. They haven't announced that yet. Oh, I it's, thought I saw that. Um, they're getting uh, Anthony Rapp to do Stampin's. Yes, I saw as that. As the next one. Um, but yeah, so they've got a lot. If you're a fan of any particular series, they've got a, They've now got a content batch for that. Less so on Enterprise, but they've brought in so many different elements from Enterprise that you're certainly going to be happy with that. So it really, like, if you want to, like, before diving in, want to see a full playthrough, I do have to recommend Heathen Dog's uh, Adventures of Buck Fats McCool, where he played through the entire story mode up until a certain point. Um, yeah, and, he needs to recontinue uh, those. He There's been a lot to, more story content since then. It's going to be sad, though, seeing him go through them <laughs> for the first time, but we'll get into that. Um, but yeah, the, the Legion Myth does have a lot of um, Star Trek Online resources um, because up until this year, um, they did a lot for live streaming and various other adventures. So the primary, like, besides the story mode here and besides these character arcs, besides these environments you can go to, these missions you can play in a free-to-play setting, nothing is um, paywall in this uh, context. The major carrot the game tries to motivate you with is more stuff. So there's over 700 playable ships in the game, which is a lot. That is an insane I think, amount. I think that's also including sort of, like, the class variants. Yeah, so there is some repetition, 
But well, even if you divide that by three, like say there's three variants, that's yeah. still a, a massive amount. Yeah, it's a massive amount. And a lot of these ships are also customizable. So you can swap out parts between um, ships of a very closely aligned class. Right, for visual so, effect. For visual effect. And you can change the paint scheme. You can do a lot of different customization stuff. So there's a huge amount to go for with ships just in terms of finding something. And it's from many, many different factions, not just those that you can play as a species. Yeah. A lot of miscellaneous ones, uh, major and minor factions, they've all got representation at this point. For... Just, I think every major ship from the TV series is playing. Except Borg. Right. Except, Except Borg. <laughs> Yet. So um, there, there's a huge amount of that. Then there's also the wide variety of playable content. Because in addition to these episodes, you've also got multiplayer stuff. So you've got a little bit of PvP. It's pretty rudimentary. It's pretty much baked into the original. So it's pretty legacy content. But you also have battle zones. You have adventure zones. You have these wide open areas where you can sort of go around and have uh, miscellaneous adventures. Um, smaller scale. But you've also got patrols. You've got these um, co-op um, 5 to 20 player scenarios you can queue up for via matchmaking system and there's a lot to really dig into that special events and social zones you can go to so a lot of a very broad um stretch of content so it does have that going for it where you can dig into one thing for a while and then dip into something else and it does have that that robustness because they've been just piling more and more on over the last um 10 years and there's a huge amount of customization with your characters your ships uh, your bridge crews, even your miscellaneous crews, you can swap between different officers. And you've also got a lot of different gear in terms of the weaponry, in terms of the equipment set, special abilities, traits. There's a lot to dig into to really craft um, different feeling play styles within broadly the same uh, familiar archetypes. So it doesn't stick to a very road class or um, role-based system where instead you're basically free to mix and match components in different abilities and really um, throw that in with very different skill trees. So it is very much up to you how you play the game, and you can do a lot of experimentation with it to try to create some really crazy play styles. Like I experimented recently with a ship that is flown backwards. It didn't work very well, but, <laughs> but I you tried it. it. I played it. <laughs> So, um, but on the flip side of this, the sort of the the stick element to it for the motivation side, this sort of the incentives, which aren't necessarily as happy, um, are prescribed grinds as the keystone to a lot of different special events where you have to play through something 14 times or 20-something times in order to get a special prize. And it encourages daily logins. And then even within each day, you've also got another layer of... Um, grinding system through the endeavors where it's just a daily task like you have in Warframe and a bunch of other emerging MMOs at this point. Fortnite has these now. But basically these daily tasks to help sort of structure gameplay. But that's a standard lacking... MMO thing though. It's a standard MMO thing but it's crept up over the last few years. So Yeah, there it... are is an awful lot of daily stuff if you want to try and do it. Yeah, and unlike Warframe it's not, it doesn't have a story basis to it. It's just go here and kill 20 types of this unit. It is the simplest possible type of MMO quest. So it doesn't really add much to the narrative or to the feeling that this is a living universe. It really just feels like this is a task I have to do for a reward. It's sort of that minimalist level. So it, it does have that element to it to sort of pull back from the fantasy, from the experience, where it 
does have these problems of integration between some of these incentivization systems. And of course, like a lot of MMOs at this point, um, especially ones from the last five years, it has loot boxes. So the fancy ships, gear, and some of the customization items are tied to loot boxes. There's plenty of other options, and most of the sort of within faction ship, within faction options, those are all available through a simple um, storefront. But there are these RNG elements, so it is something to watch out for, especially if you have had issues in the past with um, gambling addiction. So it is there is that caution because people can, and in some notable cases have, spent ridiculous amounts of money um, really kind of pursuing the RNG. Right, but also but, it is entirely possible to never open a single loot box or to exactly. never spend any money to open them. You can actually exchange currencies. So you just exchange in-game currency or just buy keys to open boxes with in-game currency. So you never actually yes. have to pay real money. And that's the beauty of the free-to-play model is that it really had, does a really good job of mon like monetizing your time so everything you do in the game gives you a special type of currency called dilithium, which you can trade for the special store fun bucks, which all the microtransactions are based around. And just as well, you can use money to buy dilithium in case you want to use that resource for the other things that are associated with it. So it has a very flexible economy and a lot of ways of just playing the game as you will without really um, forcing you down these linear paths um for prescribed grinds i think the endeavor system is probably the only thing in the game right now where it's not flexible where you have to complete endeavors to get that level of progression right and there's really no other way around it because even with the reputation system where you're earning special currencies within a themed um batch of content there's a lot of different ways of getting that especially nowadays with the choice of marks boxes whereas endeavors you really have to sort of let that cycle through and it's it's a little bit more prescriptive. So there are these these elements to it, which is just to say that it's an MMO with some of the brightest parts about that, but it also does carry over with some of the baggage of the uh, genre. So definitely, if you're looking into getting into Star Trek Online, kind of be aware of that. It's just there more background than, say, the Old Republic or um, Terra, but it is there as an element. So if we can go to the next slide. I like the tardigrade sweaters they're all wearing. Yes. So um, to dig into this a little bit, so it's basically sort of like once you've completed the game, sort of what do you do? You've gone through the story missions, you basically played the base game. So what else is there? So there's the metagame. There's the classic, I'm going to get my numbers to be as high as they can go, to max it out, to break the game, to get that difficulty curve to an absolute nadir. Just nothing can touch you, nothing can kill you. Basically, you can break the game. And eventually, I'm told by a wizard, you'll win Stone. <laughs> eventually, that'll happen. There will be a time where someone has just declared the winner of Stone because of their numbers, and then we can all just stop. But until that day, there's a bunch of other stuff to go. So there's, well, I, there's, th there's, there's that. always going to be the people who are pursuing the highest DPS they can possibly get. And also being very vocal about it in terms of how they're wanting the game to be balanced. Right. So that does result in a pretty big dichotomy because there are those people who are able to break the game and play at a certain level. But then as you sort of pull back from that to what's more accessible to most players, it's a very different game. Right. So so, so when you're running like an in-game combat challenge on a, the most challenging levels, 
the people who are running the DPS race are like, this content is too easy, blah, blah, blah. Then you run in with someone who's mainly there for role-playing, but they have a very nice ship with good stuff on it. They just get owned. Cause... Or actually another part of it is that there are recommendations from the, um, the DPS community that actually don't work that well if you're working on a lower-end build. So, for That's example, true. there was a whole time when it was just like cannons are the best thing to do or recommendation that you'd only run cannons. But at, at the same time, if you're a low-level player, you actually get more by Ooh. putting a torpedo front. Thanks for subscribing, doing... order. Appreciate it. Ooh, thanks. But, like, or another thing where you um, can basically put, like, all torpedoes in the front of your ship. That can be great for really special science builds that are able to deal a whole lot of damage through the exotic uh, damage powers. But it doesn't work if you're not at that level. Right. So if you're trying are... to get through the game, that is a that is a bad idea. Came yeah. Aside. So yeah, came. Uh, I actually use that because I like that one. But I'm sort of operating at the mid level. I use Corbin anyway, on my ship. <laughs> uh, I actually use that too on my uh, because I do have one of the fancy Constitution classes, which was a pretty funny story because I got I opened one of the RNG boxes. Because I needed the base currency that's included. So basically, if you don't get a specialty ship, you get the B prize of, of this fancy currency, which you can trade in for special rewards. I just wanted a little bit more of those because I do like I, I do like buying certain things from that uh, storefront. But then I got the fanciest ship in the game, which is nice. Which was funny because then I had to buy another pack to get the special rewards currency <laughs> that I needed. So it was kind of like, okay, I got this. I didn't get what I wanted though. It's like I think everyone wants. That's not what I wanted. <laughs> Uh, I'm the only person probably in the world to have actually said damn it when that <laughs> happened. But anyway, though, so there's this whole DBS game to go through and just really kind of have fun building your ship in terms of the stats. But there's also the creative side to it because you can also do the customization, which really comes through not necessarily on your ship, even though the ship is part of it and setting up your story um, that you tell yourself while you're playing these missions. But there's also the side of building your characters. And you not only build your own character, but every single bridge officer that accompanies you on your away missions that command certain seats on your ship, they're all deeply customizable. So you can build a crew, and then you can create a new character, build another crew, completely separate, build another crew, completely separate. You can basically create an entire franchise's worth of character stories um, just on your own. So STO is one of the deepest games when it comes to letting players customize who they are doesn't necessarily use that in the episodes because the palette's so broad that they can't really make a lot of specific points i think they can a little bit more though but that's getting us some experience that we'll talk about a little bit later but um there is this really deep customization hey, system that you can basically spend as much time with as the actual gameplay side so just telling stories to yourself and then bringing that through to the players through screenshot artistry. So you can basically use this free cam tool called Demo Record, where you take a little gameplay uh, trailer set or yeah, gameplay recording, and you can replay that and move the camera around and get some pretty neat shots of that. So some people have made that an entire way of interacting with the game. So that brings another layer of creativity to that. And Space another Barbie's side. the true endgame, says Marhawk. Yeah, Space Barbie is the true endgame. And there are so many different ways of really kind of taking what's there and making it your own because they're like through all these approaches you can basically dip in as much as you will so you can do a little bit of screenshotting you can do character stuff and then you can focus on the metagame or you can do entirely metagame and really say no to the other stuff or you can basically use it entirely as a bob ross painting tool of the star trek universe 
So there's a lot you can do, and there's a lot that the game enables you to do. So if we can go to the next slide. I know that when we're talking about like building your crews, I mean, my primary character um, has his primary crew, and I actually, you know, have entire backstories for the entire crew. Like a lot of the other guys do who are into like the role-playing aspect. They'll have entire backstories mm -hmm. for their whole crew and everything. So it, it's really to see like people actually bother filling out the backstory of the characters looking. A lot of them are really good. Yeah, and for years when I first started the game, um, all I was doing is basically doing that for myself. So I wasn't like doing role playing in chat or writing stories or anything else like that. I was basically just treating it as a creative exercise. Like I just want to make a bunch of characters and then have that as my character, have that have that as a crew for a while. So basically, you know, you've got this game, you've got this MMO, it's got some high points to it. So why care? Well, first of all, you have this legacy of creative initiative. Because you've got to remember that starting in 2010, there were no Star Trek series at this point. Ah, uh, Rave Slayer, thank you very much. 15 Ooh. months. Woo! You're a long wow. timer. Thank you. Yeah. So you basically, know, yeah. Star Trek Online. As soon as Heathen Dog leaves, people start subscribing. Just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be back yeah. next week. And then everyone just goes like, nope. <laughs> uh, no, I think it works the other way. So um, anyway, though, with this, the historical context of Star Trek Online, it had a run where it was the only multimedia. I mean, there were the books and the comics running, but it was the only multimedia um, series that was ongoing to continue the Star Trek narrative and was doing so in a new context through the 2409 setting versus anything else. So it was it fell a lot on cryptic to try to like because there wasn't any clear idea that there would ever be another star trek series because the like for a while the best shot was netflix getting enterprise season five i yeah, mean we really weren't talking true. about new series new movies beyond the star trek kelvin timeline reboots and those were even questionably like how long were they going to be going and how much more those would spin off into and it looks like, like those have really... ended now so we have that answer yeah so Star Trek Online really kind of took it upon itself to be that continuation for people. So it did a really good job of bringing these stories to light, to bringing these connections that you wouldn't have seen and doing that across the franchise. So it has this really wonderful place in the medium or the franchise of being this connection point between everything. And that's continuing on with the new series because even as those are continuing, Star Trek Online is still endeavoring to bring everything together. So in the next season we're going to be getting, we're going to be connecting Discovery to the 2409 setting, and we're going to be bringing in some elements from Enterprise into Discovery and really kind of digging deep in that way. It's also got this legacy of player creativity where because you've had players working for so long with Star Trek Online, you have this really deep foundation of creativity. And especially in the community, where you've got people who have been working for so long with characters, with um, builds, with um, screenshots, that there are basically entire art forms in each of these disciplines dedicated to um, bringing the most out of that as possible. So you can dip into that. You can dip into a lot of resources people have done, tutorials, um, build advice for the metagame, and just other ways of interacting with people with really long-established characters, like Admiral Aaron, for example. And then oh, yeah. what was the biggest thing, though? Because this is getting a picture of the completed game. This is what the developers were worked on. But there was one other thing that, for a time, put this head and shoulders beyond anything else in the industry in my opinion. 
just completely beyond. What could that have been? I wonder. What could that have been? And everyone's kind of in chats like, yeah, we know. Yeah, we know. We know. We've heard you There was the Foundry. So the Foundry was a built-in mission building tool, complete, that you can go in with everything except for voiceovers and some of the fancy tricks that um, Cryptic did themselves, like building custom maps. But basically using what the game had in its uh, its artistic palette the systems the maps the assets the things you can place the ships it allowed you to go in and create start to finish a complete mission dialogue custom characters everything this was released on uh, march 28th uh, 2011 and really really blew the doors off of what you could do with video games because now in addition to the developers, you had players working with something, but unlike a lot of UGC systems like Mario Maker or Halo's Forge or even Skyrim, I mean, you had this really user-friendly built-in tool set working under an established IP with this really long, decades-old history of creative storytelling and people connecting with these characters, connecting with this universe, and basically said, hey guys, go for it, and found a medium to really let players go through and start crafting these stories and of course when they're doing this they're not just doing this in a vacuum they're learning from each other's missions they're learning from each other in direct ways too of talking with each other trying to work through problems and they demonstrated something that as someone with an interest in human sociology i like to call iterative communal problem solving so through a series of iterations as a group we worked out how to build things how to craft episodes what worked what didn't work through trial and error and at a really really rapid pace because you can build one of these missions in a month whereas cryptic takes three through the full dev team so what this allowed players to do was basically learn through trial and error how to become game developers within the context of star trek online so and then you had this with less restriction and just more of an open opportunity because you didn't have a developer. You didn't, you weren't making missions on the assumption that if this doesn't work, your population's going down, your livelihood is extinct. Right. So it was basically it allowed just you to take art. risks that the devs couldn't. Yeah, and it also started exploring formats that ne didn't necessarily appeal to the mainstream, but then allowed you to find things that did appeal to the mainstream that weren't being explored in the main game. So you had this radiation, this adaptive radiation of different mission styles that also found better ways of handling certain things than the developers were able to because they're not able to push forward with experimentation as frequently. So they learn, they adapt, they push forward, and they're coming at this from a very high level. But the rate of development is less over the years. So to the extent that I'm only seeing, seeing certain things now that when I started with the Foundry uh, back, um, yeah, 20, uh, 2012, when I first started playing, you're only starting to see things that Foundry authors were doing then that in terms of character use, in terms of how you're building missions and drama that are now only working their way into the main game. That's so, true. and it's one of those things where it was such a great resource for learning how to work with the format. So best content in the game and brought so much art to the gameplay style. So with the screenshots here, we've got a little bit of the user interface, developing characters. Of course, it's one of my missions. So you see that character list on the left. <laughs> That's why I have the character count for the Jugoros. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah. Well, Heathen Dog will um, appreciate that. It's because I've been keeping that up. Through, 
That's right. The, uh, I appreciate that. But basically, it was also a 2D map editor that allowed you to sort of do a coordinate system to place things up and down. But as you can see on the right, you could do a lot with that. <laughs> and it was very approachable, very intuitive, at least for what I found it to be. Um, some people who are as independent learners um, struggle a little bit more. But basically, with this type of tool set, with this type of community, you can basically keep going, get going. So if you uh, go on to the next slide. Uh, Grunu says he feels he gained a better understanding of Cryptic's dev team for having to dabble himself. Well, he did make one of the most interesting arcs in the Foundry. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I would say probably one of the absolute most highly regarded best episode series that was ever released to the game, full stop. What he liked in quantity made up for in quality, certainly. Yes, especially with that last one. Yes, that was really good. Was it good. was well worth the wait. <laughs> so basically, just to kind of dip into what I made before continuing on with the broader impact, but basically the way I dabbled with this was through a couple of different story series, actually three. I can't say dabbled when you had like a dozen missions and they were hours long. I had 18 missions in total. <laughs> That's not dabbling. <laughs> dabbling is two. Yeah, this was my major hobby for a while. So basically I had the Starfleet security files, which kind of did something to the format of Star Trek that I was kind of keen on seeing myself. Sort of pull the focus away from the ship, away from that road crew of kind of leading from the top and basically deal with a small, basically five-man band um, that are just hopping around different ships, different settings, and kind of are the lower decks that we're seeing now explored in the lower deck series. But yeah, basically following through a Starfleet security team as they went through a series of adventures. And this was very much inspired by Pat Labor and Terry Pratchett's Nightwatch. So it had a mix of drama and mix of comedy and had a certain tone with respect to how competent these people were and how they kind of failed upwards. And that kind of actually gave a lot more character room than you typically see in Star Trek because basically you see people succeed from the top. They start off as idealistic or they kind of go through these arcs and are have less room to be fallible. So that's kind of what I really liked about this series. So we've got <laughs> Captain Ross, Pip-Pip, and Itrex up there. But then I also kind of dipped into more of the sci-fi element with the Alliance Exploration Initiative, which started as a community community challenge put off uh, put up by the Foundry Roundtable before I became a podcast or before I became a co-host. Um, and just to say, like how I was working with the Foundry at this time, this is kind of the heyday. I made three AEI missions before the challenge started. <laughs> before it started, when we were just talking about the pre-planning phase, because I kept like, okay, you know, I'm going to, you know, uh, like, okay, maybe I can do one mission before, you know, we get started because we got a few weeks left. Oh, I finished that one. We're still a few weeks away. And maybe I can do another one. So I did try to part one, part two, and eons uh, <laughs> this time. But basically for this, I was sort of doing more with character, but a little bit more with drama. I mean, there's still a bunch of comedy in this as well, especially with Pim and Eerie. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, it went more with the setting. So dealing much more with the broad concepts, distant future pocket universes where I could really play with evolutionary ideas um, from my academic background. So, yeah. Also, in fairness, yeah, you did take forever to get the, as Green Dragoon says, it did take forever to get the AEI challenge going because you guys did a lot of voting variants for that one. So, yeah, it, it was like three months um, when I started working on this stuff. And then I made the challenge mission, which was three weeks. Yeah, that was Apex. <sighs> That's the one I have a reputation for. Yep. Yep. It's not necessarily because of how I wrote it, but how it was performed a little bit. 
<laughs> so I'm finding certain elements there that I didn't quite intend, but anyway. Um, so yeah, kind of moving on. So that was kind of like what I was doing, basically doing this far out stuff and also working with the Star Trek format a little bit, just kind of playing around with how you can do more with the franchise a little bit. Because for me, just doing the standard, like it's TOS again, or trying to recapture TNG, recapture Enterprise. So that's sort of that whole retrospective uh, feel that kind of set Enterprise up and also set Voyager up. Of always trying to get back to something, I never really liked that as much. Push forward, not back. Because a lot of the later track at this point was trying to sort of re-engineer like what made it good in the first place. And for me, I'm just like, no, I'm just going to keep forward, keep yeah, going. Which that's is an excellent point. With it. I mean, I am. I would agree with the opinion that Star Trek needs to look less at its past and more at its future. Yeah. So, did we go to the next slide? Yes, we did. I'm still waiting on the live stream. We're looking at what other people made, where there's crazy dance missions and yeah. the captain's log mission. Viva fluid plots! Viva fluid plots! <laughs> so here's just a cross-section of what other people made. So the first, on the top left, you've got Admiral Air and Starbase Invictus, which is just a like an exploration of the social zone concept with a lot more activity, a lot more character, and it was completely, or mostly non-combat. I think there are some ways of finding combat in this. But... Um, yeah, it was just a really fun adventure and neat setting, a lot of just sort of this crazy celebration um, vibe to it, a lot of community stuff to it. You've also got a completely joke mission. Um, as you see, someone built using various different types of assets a bathroom scenario. And I highly recommend looking up Legion of Myths' uh, life play of the little captain's room. It is well worth it. But then you've also got the work of Johnny Snowball down in the lower left, where he went he was the top guy when it came to map builds and had some really great drama, really great comedy episodes and really found a lot of different ways of playing with the format um, and creating these really memorable scenarios and really, really pushing forward with how you can remap the Foundry. So he was one of those people that if you're trying to get into the Foundry, you played his stuff because that set your baseline for this is what you can do with the tool set. And of course, in the lower right, you've got Green Dragoon, who built a like a very like with a little bit of false perspective, but a very, very, very big and intricate city that you went through, start to finish, such that you start on this platform and then you snake your way through the city, and then you ended up on the very far side of that giant chasm. And, and it felt massive it felt while going through it. Yeah, it felt job. massive, and it just so much to it, and so rich. And he was um, modeling this after some of these urban complexes that developed in um, in Asia, I think specifically in China, where you just have this city that just completely sort of closes in on itself um, and is run down and just had this great refugee feel to it. And that was a fan, part of a fantastic series with so much branching dialogue, so much brand, so many branching options. They had different endings, which is something that cryptic hasn't been able to do. <laughs> Partially because they need to have a fixed story point. Um, but yeah, he, he found ways of artificially creating these gameplay elements that you just didn't see in the main game. Cause we went that far. We're trying to push the tool set to its absolute limit. So yeah, I mean, people really pushed this. And this is a small sample because there were hundreds upon thousands of missions. And a lot of it was a lot of people experimenting with something. This is my first mission. This is my first. Yeah. 
first, yeah, I'm getting to this one. <laughs> and it just it's sort of at all levels, but because of this iterative communal problem solving, the foundry brought content up to a higher level than you typically see in UGC systems. So that if you took a random cross-section blade a random mission, you found something in what someone had made that was still memorable. That was still something there because it was such a great tool for self-expression mm -hmm. and there are so many resources available. And even some of the terrible but, missions were entertaining in their terribleness. Uh, my One of my favorite series was because of just how insane it was. And I'm not uh, quite sure if it space. was a very imaginative child or someone on some type of mind-altering substance. It had this very lucid vibe to it, and I would just recommend go go find Cold Blue Space in the Legion of Myth Life Plays, and you will hear Heathen Dog Break. And I'm probably going to get banned for mentioning this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but just as another thing, just to, you know, as we mentioned before, Legion of Myth has so many live plays between Garthon and Heathenog doing complete voiceovers, bringing more to the dialogue than was there in the original text too, of just creating these really great performances. So if you want to experience the Foundry now, that is by far the most recommended. Oh, Foundry nice. Roundtable also has some live plays too, in addition to a bunch of different YouTube channels, but Legion of Myth has the biggest and best repository of content oh, and nice. all of the classics. Well, so moving you know, on. That, that's how we met a lot of people, actually. That was our bread and butter for a while. We yeah, just... yeah. I found Legion of Myth because I found that you had played one of my missions. Yep. <laughs> because I, I was doing the lazy route of I didn't want to go into the editor and look up one of my own species names, which was Arig Species. This <laughs> so I was like, you know what? Has someone live played this? Because I knew some people had hit a few recent missions. And then I found Legion of Myth, and I just ended up just watching the whole thing and like, that was better than I wrote it. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I started interacting with you guys, and yeah, here I am right now. It so, all went downhill yeah. from there. We apologize. Yep. And got issued to the other host around table. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, like Mark Hawkman, Green Dragoon here, and yeah. Yeah, cool. it's been good meeting them. It's been good. Yeah. So moving on, though, to why we're talking about this in past tense. Not Star Trek Online, just the Foundry. Just the Foundry. Star Trek Online is still going, but the Foundry died April 11th this year. And it was really tough for all concerned, the developer team especially, the community managers too. Kale, this really took a lot out of him because he was one of those people, like the Cryptic did as much as they could to support the Foundry, but it was a really big and complicated system. It was something really never originally intended for the game engine. It was kit bashed into there. It and was kit bashed into there. And then as you go through 10 years of continuously updating the game, continuously bringing it up to par, continuous development, you're adding more and more and more and more and more in systems on top of this original ecosystem the Foundry was built for. And there was no way at the time that Cryptic could build with any anticipation that the game would be in the shape it is now back then. So it's kind of one of the... Like if the game had gone into maintenance mode, no one like it just completely just sort of drifted off the radar, kind of like Champions did. The Foundry might still be around, but in a oh, it, it's questionable what would have gone on with Neverwinter. But the success of the game made that meant that it entered into a development mode that results in the Foundry drifting further and further and further away from the code base and from what worked. So what ultimately happened is that. If you've played Halo 4 and seen what happened to Cortana in that, 
that basically happened with the Foundry. It became fractally broken, mm. where every update was making it more broken. And it got beyond Cryptic's ability to fix it. They started having and, downtime of months to fix things. Yeah, I mean, the last downtime was epic. And it came down to, like, one of the problems that occurred was Kale had entered text into a store listing and ended up somehow removing files from the foundry system and this was one bug of several that had brought the entire system down so it basically got to the point where if it wasn't taken down it would have broken completely like and we're reaching that point of like with the next updates it was probably going to kill it dead so they had an outro for it a lot of authors know this is what's coming they didn't give us a whole lot of time and they didn't actually give us any forewarning of this Right, And I do kind of want to open up a little bit about that now because as I've been moving on here, I'm kind of less associated with Cryptic now because I was doing the uh, live stream mod uh, moderation, working with Kale. So I haven't really had an opportunity to sort of, apart from Roundtable, to really kind of talk about what happened behind the scenes. And the short answer is nothing. I mean, the Sunset announcement was news as much to me as everyone else. And I was probably doing a lot of the back-channel communication with Kale, coordinating on uh, new spotlights, sending him recommendations for what to keep going. Um, the last spotlight recommendation actually came from me and came from me trying to get Starfire Theta on the um, spotlight author list because he was doing such great work there. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being the last spotlight because Kale knew this was coming and wanted to get as many people on that bandwagon as possible. And that was sort of the last round of communications we had. And even though internally Cryptic had made the decision and was even considering that this was a possibility months and months, months before, they were trying everything they could to make ways of getting the system to work and work long term and be able to justify putting more and more resources into it. Yeah. They uh, didn't tell us anything about that. And that was part of it was it certainly, you know, they were hopeful of trying to find a solution. But it ultimately came down to it ended up being a bigger blow. And in terms of cryptic, this did have financial considerations to it as well. So when they made that announcement, they kind of cut the foundry off at that point. They didn't mention it like they did their big send off on the foundry run or the um, 10 forward live stream. Mm -hmm. But they didn't highlight any missions. They didn't um, go through any retrospectives. There wasn't like a, a, a blog piece of like your favorite yeah. Foundry memories. Uh, one of the devs, I think it was Taco, posted a thank you to Foundry authors. But it was very nonspecific. And for me, that had a definite sense of trying to minimize the damage. Because the last thing Cryptic wanted at that point, it was already a really big PR hit. The last thing they wanted was to, be, was to introduce people to the Foundry moments before it got taken away right so it's very understandable but it did make the blow a little bit harder because yeah, it was basically callous. overnight the entire situation had changed for me uh, probably for me personally more than anyone else because i was doing a lot of this behind the scenes work so that was really tough to deal with especially with where i was at that point where i had just interviewed for a phd program nothing was certain at that point and Actually, I had just got accepted to my where I'm currently at, and then the news broke. That's if my department, 
yeah. And if my department hadn't told me like early to try to get me in, that would have been a real, I'm, I'm not sure if I actually would have made it through that because losing the, like for me, the foundry was such a big thing for expression, for interacting with people. Cause I had never gotten expressive with the community before. Like I'd interacted with like the Halo community a little bit with some others, but I never really become comfortable expressing myself and connecting with people. And the foundry was kind of the first time that had ever happened. So it was an introduction in humanity for me and building the stuff was just a completely different experience and had become such an important coping tool for me that having this like overnight now going into panic mode for how much stuff I have to preserve and then what do I do afterwards? That was a really big hit. And then on top of that, you had um, just the preservation efforts because there wasn't a whole lot of time. Everyone was dealing with their own stuff. So I ended up doing, uh, taking it on myself to record. I think I ultimately did like 43 missions over that month, including my or excluding my own. So trying to get as much out there as possible. I've uh, uploaded a lot of these to YouTube. I might do voiceovers for these. Um, some of these already, some of these already have voiceovers. I think through Legion of Myth, but I ended up picking up a lot that weren't going to get, uh, that weren't uh, previously recorded. And some of these were just like, I just want to get this for the diversity's sake. This wasn't like a memorable mission, but that's why I want to play through it. So a lot of authors ended up having their work presented this way, and also I tried to coordinate with as many streamers as possible, like uh, Texas Gemini, uh, Grumpy Old Nord, um, you guys for your last preservation efforts to try to get this going. So this is kind of like, uh, this is a lot to say that the Foundry was shut down, but it was sort of this, as the Tardigrade is more or less encapsulating, it was a big deal. It wasn't just like shutting down a feature, it was shutting down this such this unique thing in the industry for which there is no substitute because you can go to a modding community, the technical level is so much different and the creative baseline is so much different. Skyrim, for example, really well established, but to make a mission for Skyrim is so much, such a higher level. There's not as much in terms of like the daily interaction. And ultimately the creative platform, the Elder Scrolls series is big, but it's not Star Trek big, mm-hmm. especially with like growing up with it. Some people have, but most people like me, for example, I mean, I got into Oblivion and that's not really a defining relationship with a franchise so yeah that was a lot but yeah i mean basically at this point like i kind of wanted to give a little bit more of a retrospective because we hadn't really talked about this as much on round tab i think uh foundry roundtable mm-hmm. so yeah i do kind of want to take that opportunity in moving on to kind of get a little bit of this off my chest because i didn't ended up like kind of not talking about some of the aspects especially behind the scenes stuff but i do want to reiterate it was such a everyone tried and it didn't work that's kind of how it came about but favorite memories i mean the missions too many to name dozens of authors hundreds of missions and the ones that shall be not be named except we already named it so that doesn't count now um building stuff for me was a vital coping tool it really helped me through getting to where I am right now of building myself up after a very difficult experience with my master's and some personal stuff. And it was such a wonderful creative outlet where I can actually write. I'd never written anything elaborate for creative writing and now I'm considering doing a book. So yeah, it was wonderful. And then for me, the absolute highlight was interacting with people for the first time, really. So public reviews, I actually got fan mail 
and right up into the end. And that was a very different experience and very unexpected. And I tried to write back to everyone. Um, some I wasn't able to get to in the end, but yeah. Uh, then I was also a podcast co-host for a few years with the Foundry Roundtable, interacting with those guys, Mark Hockman, Green Dragoon, Jorgen1701, having so many great moments with that one. The Immortal Tovan Kev, for example, where we had taken the, like, the most unpopular character from Star Trek Online, put him in the distant future as someone who could not be killed, but in very ridiculous ways where they, they send him in a black hole and he comes back the next day. Just one of these almost like Harlan, uh, Harlan uh, uh, Ray Bradbury, there we go, esque uh, storylines. Um, also interacting with Cryptic Studios, really getting to know those people who I'd been playing the game for for quite some time, but also getting to know Zeronius Rex. Uh, or Hoffman likes Tovin, he says. <laughs> I actually don't mind him as much. But, I mean, interacting with Cryptic, I mean, that was another really just unique experience, just to have this kind of back and forth. And that was another just highlight, because it basically made this something other than video game. It just made it an extended creative exercise. It kind of brought the focus out from the economics and really became this wonderful experience. And Cryptic was as supportive as it could possibly have been and did far more than any of us could have possibly asked because a lot of the support for the Foundry was on their off time. They really cared about this feature. So, and then of course, interacting with you guys in Legion of Myth. And I absolutely have to recommend for some of the best recordings of the Foundry, check out their um, live streams. It's all on YouTube, every episode. Go check that out. Yeah. What else Terrence was asking you, was it tough to keep going uh, or stop? Or with how many players liked it? Uh, Press will bring a new iteration. There's not going to be a new iteration. It was too difficult to new... make it So, yeah, basically, w what they talked about with the scale of the development effort, this took years to build in the first place. And to make it work and make it work long term, they're looking at an equal amount of work like rebuilding it from scratch. Right. It would have to actually be, if they made a Star Trek Online 2, it would have to be part of the original foundations of the thing. Yeah. And there's actually some really good points for how they can make, like, the Foundry... Like, they could basically make the ultimate game with that. And in certain ways that I think the Foundry was a great proof of concept, if nothing else, for how to make an MMO and really solve some fundamental issues with the format, specifically development effort. Because you have these long windows, like three months or so, between content drops. And Cryptic is one of the most the most prolific um, uh, supporters of the game in terms of just releasing more episodes. If you integrate something like the Foundry into that, you could, through the Spotlight system, at the very least, and incorporating those missions in the main arc, you could solve a fundamental development problem with... MMOs. You could solve content hunger, basically, if That's you true. reworked it in certain ways. So, but anyway, yeah, it's going to be like if the Foundry ever comes back, the most likely form it would take is Cryptic finding a way of putting the missions back in the game versus um, rebuilding the tool set. Right. So that's the way it comes back if it ever does. And there's currently no plans for that. They'll certainly keep an eye out for it. If they have any of the ideas, they might explore it. But for now, there's nothing to say on that front. Right. But a lot of the, so, other, a lot of the authors have moved on to other things, though. 
as you say. Yes, and this is something that you can really dig into right now because this was such a great community of community developed so many skills that people are still putting these to work. So, for example, we've got Pax Veneratica, who's created a short story or a um, uh, short story series through the uh, Peacemakers. So he's got a blog for that. I've provided links, and those will be available hopefully with the YouTube version of this. Um, Drogon1701 has created the USS Valley Forge series, where he's basically created trailers and then taken a lot of screenshots to develop a story series of a series of characters going through the cryptic missions. So hmm. providing that with more context. Starfire Theta has created a short story series with Starfleet Resource Acquisition Division, which is basically a comedy or, uh, mostly a comedy series based around people who are trying to mine things and trying to... It's again very, very um, lower desks, uh, desks, uh, lower desks, decks esque. You got there. There we go. Where he's able to really kind of go through that, and then um, Star uh, Admiral Aaron is currently working on the Admiral's Log, which is a continuation of his stuff. Um, and also, I do want to mention other creative folks because besides the Foundry, we also have some other great people in the community doing these ongoing creative projects. So, Attack Pattern Tugs has a Star Trek uh, online-related uh, webcomic series, which he's completely CG animated himself or CG uh, rendered himself, and that is fantastic. And the writing and the art—it's hilarious. Um, Stio uh, Morshida is a screenshot artiste. She is amazing at taking Shereed shots, going into Photoshop, and really bringing the most out of this possible. Absolutely fantastic. You can follow her on Twitter. Um, also, uh, DeviantArt. Ruin Fane, character art. So she uh, draws a whole lot and really does some great work with expressive scenes and um, just having these um, really in uh, really interesting uh, character moments. And then Zeph Films does these amazing uh, cinematic trailers. And his work has been recently highlighted at Star Trek Las Vegas in Cryptics panels. So another community member who you should definitely check out and see how much they're able to really bring into the game besides the narrative storytelling aspect. So there's still this legacy of creativity. And the game itself is still a creative platform that people are still using. So there is still something of that spark ongoing in the rest of the community. So definitely check these people out. So ultimately so i kind of have to be a little complicated here because there's so much to dig into with this game where star trek online some of the best experiences i have had with any game with any medium for me this has become star trek more than yeah for quite a few people i think yeah i mean this because it's an interactive experience and has sort of gone deeper in some ways for the human experience than an episode can so it's really done the most with the video game format in terms of storytelling when the founder was available. Um, it's still a rich platform for uh, creativity and I do highly encourage that you seek out other creators to really make the most of this. It's got a huge amount of content. It's got accessible yet deep uh, gameplay. It's a little esoteric at first, especially with the ground combat, but there's a lot you can deep, uh, dig into and the devs care about the product. And that's something I do want to highlight. Because a lot of developers, you'll kind of see them hitting the same marks, kind of going through through things by rote, going for these performance targets. But the developers really care about improving the game, bringing more art to it. And you see this in the recent episodes, like everything from the animations, the level design, the ship art. The guys put so much work into that. So this is a game where you can really feel how much the team cares about this product and then part of that's historical legacy part of it's where it fits in the franchise now parts of it because it's star trek part of it's because it's something that they've been working on for so long 
So you really have a great creative team behind this game as well. Now on the downside to this, and this is not necessarily one-to-one um, in terms of the up and the down, but it's increasingly reliant on Skinner boxes. So basically do a repetitive task for hit the button, get the grain, hit the button, get the grain. So it's using this more and more as a gameplay concept. And some of that's starting to take away from the creative side because it's finding neurochemical ways of pushing players forward. Whereas in the past, they didn't necessarily emphasize that to the same degree. So especially with the Endeavor system and um, how that works, that's one of the biggest elements, but also the, seasonal, um, the event grinds. Um, there's also, as far as it goes with the narratives though, it's still constrained in the developer format. So there's a heavy emphasis on big budget cameos, the guest actors um, who come in and play a part. And this is to the exclusion of a lot of original characters. So it doesn't push the format as far as it can go. And especially recently, the 2409 setting has become less of a independent creative sphere and more a platform for bringing everything together. Mm-hmm. So it's starting to lose a little bit of its own creative voice. So we'll see how far that carries on. That was especially true during Age of Discovery, where it basically became a supplement to the TV show more than anything else. And right. They tried to do some cross-promotion, but I think it was to the detriment of the yeah where the game where they had some good episodes but they may as well have been episodes versus gameplay because the player in these like in these basically took on the role of i'm gonna push the plot along i have no emotional involvement with this myself for a lot of those missions you might have been joining Riker in the holodeck yeah, basically. I mean, that's kind of the feeling of it. Actually, that was explicitly what, what the premise of some of these missions were. You're a holodeck character going through these scenes, and you're literally experiencing this as an audience member right? versus like, oh, an active boy. player. So you're going through a Star Trek theme park versus a Star Trek RPG right? where you're playing a role and being more involved than you can be in an episode. So there are those moments, especially in more recent missions, where it's not necessarily balancing this in a way that makes the most of the video game format versus the Star Trek format, because they're getting so good at cinematics that we're playing it very analogous episodes, and the gameplay is more or less filler versus providing a lot more context. And then there's, of course, the loss of the Foundry, which is the saddest experience I've had with any game. And this probably is true for a lot of people. So it's hard to approach the game as it was. I'm finding it easier nowadays to find new creative angles but i do kind of want to break off break the star system here because i can't just give one rating because it's very context dependent. that's true when we had the foundry 4.5 stars easy and i wouldn't say five stars just because the gameplay i mean you had to work it definitely had its issues it had its issues but it's still there without the foundry i mean the foundry was so special that i can't like take it's not a bad game but it is such a colossal vacuum to what was there that it can't be higher than a three in my opinion if you're coming from that and you're heavily involved basically from me yeah there were some people who never touched the foundry yeah and they're completely like completely fine so basically with that baseline of no foundry i mean you just had no experience with it or you come into the game fresh four stars easy 
I mean, it's a very robust MMO. A little bit, you got to get into the format a little bit. It's got this legacy content, but it's such a, at least a very broad, it's historically notable in the genre and has some really wonderful design elements to it. Right. But the devs so, also have also done a great job updating all the old legacy content. Yeah, and they're still working on improving textures, improving assets, improving everything they can. Um, to it and they've got some really great plans for that so they're still pushing so it's a great experience to get into and a very it's a very easy game to have as sort of your back burner game that That's you true. always come back to That's um true. so i do kind of like even with the star rating i had to be honest with that three of like what happens without the foundry but all factors being equal i'd say four stars probably where you're at with this one um but it is so no like basically for its flaws it's still very notable and something that is easily recommended just to see what's there and to get a set and to just experience the foundry for what it was through legion of myth stuff so if you haven't gotten to star trek online before that's what i recommend play the game but also see the foundry because that is one of the most historically notable things in the gaming industry that you would find with this game so there we go long review but yeah i think with where the foundry was for legion of myth i did want to give that and especially where it was for my own expertise a full rundown yeah, I mean, it's, it's been hard to be without it. But... <laughs> yeah, uh, it's been hard to have not be not look forward to every week to like see what what you guys were working on because that was such a fun weekly cycle. Yeah, uh, it really was. What do they do this week? And especially when you saw those reviews pop up back when you did the pre-recorded bits, it's just like, oh yeah, we're gonna see this come. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, thank you, everyone. What did you think of this segment? What are your thoughts on Star Trek Online? Are you way off base? Do you do you think it, the game is terrible? Do you think it's wonderful? Did you never play the Foundry and now kind of wish you had? Well, if you had, you can look at the videos. And if you have any suggestions for future Neon Spotlights with Duncan, because we hope they'll be coming back to this locality at some point. Woo! Uh, I mean, I'm going to be gone in October. Well, the end of October, so... Uh... You'll need some help. Well, I mean, I'll be doing a PhD program, but I'm not. I don't have any other live stream commitments at this point. Mortar <laughs> uh, says he didn't know about, that much about the game. He suddenly missed out on cool things. Yeah, the Foundry was really cool. You would have liked that, Mortar. Would have been up your alley. Yeah. So check out the Legion of Myth YouTube uh, playlist because that is the best place to re-experience those, and you can just watch them too. But, I mean, that's the such fun. Like I, I've gone back recently and just started watching some of those yeah. just because it's just so fun. But Star Trek Online is a free-to-play game available on. Xbox One, PS4, not PS4, Xbox, Xbox uh, yeah, it's on PS4, yeah, PS4 and uh, PC, free yep. to play. All right, so thank you everyone very much. If you want to see more of this, let us know. You can find more Legion of Myth animated stream segments, tabletop game, fundamental series, team ups, and other selected game streams. You can join us, like, subscribe, share. Thank you all so much. And you can join us live on Twitch or watch us not live. Well, you'd have to be live to watch. That's how that works. That's just, I have no control over that. On YouTube, full streams of anime, comics, game reviews, member-only chats, giveaways. If you join us on Twitch, you can be a part of the monthly Q&As, Legion Myth. That counts towards Patreon giveaway goals, where we give away more stuff. And the monthly giveaway is coming up soon. Uh, I don't want to say thanks for the other side of the Foundry. Player content is monstrously important to me. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, it's very important to us as well. As, obviously, we're content creators here, so we very much value that. And that was such a great tool to drag people in. Anyway! We need to end this. <laughs> we need to get on to... I'll, I'll skip everything. We're just going to be done. Thank you, everyone.
Alright, if you want to watch, read comic books, you want to hear my comic books, it's time for your new favorite segment of anything in the universe. Yes, Garth has comic poll. Garth buys comics, read comics, subscribe to Legion of Myth as Garth subscribes to comics. Garth would do it for you if you had a YouTube channel. Garth actually might subscribe to you. So, first up. Subscribe! <laughs> subscribe! Oh, he's not here to yell it at him. <laughs> We're going to talk about Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number nine. Written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Javier Garon, covers by David Curiel, and the covers by Patrick O'Keefe. Uh, they've been trying really hard with the covers of uh, the new Miles Morales Spider-Man series to really bring the vibe of the uh, Edge of Spider-Verse movie. And I don't blame them, because that was a really good movie. Uh, this one doesn't try as hard as some of the others, but you, but you do see like in the on the bottom of that... Uh, Cross light, you see the Miles sticker. Uh, bottom right of the picture. Uh, that yep. is directly from the uh, uh, film. So, we've had an interesting series of issues where Miles Morales was captured by a strange entity and they've been doing experiments on him. Last issue blew me away uh, with just like the stark terror of it. Where he finally, at the end, thought he was finally breaking free, only to find that was just part of the simulation. And it just... It would have broken a lesser man. Um, but it was just so freaking dark when that happened. Ah, that was such a good one. <laughs> uh, the... This issue... Pick starts out with his parents going through a scrapbook of things he's done. And kind of give you over their thoughts about how when Miles was a child, he... Most boys are naturally aggressive, but Miles never was. He hated to fight. He'd rather make a friend. And even when he became Spider-Man, it was hard for him to actually get into a fight with a bad guy. He was sort of trying to solve it other ways. But he's been missing for three days now. And they're trying to figure out what to do. And eventually, his uncle Aaron, who dies in the movie, but uh, who is a... For a while, was a Iron Spider supervillain. Uh, but he gave that up, but makes contact with his brother. They're like, hey, I haven't heard from Aaron either. Uh, sorry, I haven't heard from Miles either. What's going on. So they basically decide to team up together to try and find out where Miles is. Miles' father starts using his old S.H.I.E.L.D. contacts. Um, Aaron starts using his criminal contacts to find out where he is. They eventually get a hit. Aaron, pick, Aaron says, okay, I have to pick something up first before we go. And he gets a new set of power armor. And it's hinted very strongly that... Because they're like, you don't have money to pay for this. You're out of the game. He's like, tell you what, give me this. Because I need this to save some, my family. One job, whatever it is. On the free. But I need this armor. So he's getting going to get drugged back into the crime, super crime game. But what's cool is he actually does end up in the Prowler armor. Kind of like... They're, they're very obviously trying to drag this more closely to the movie... <laughs> Because um, now, because in the movie he was the Prowler, um, but he died. So, but now they're making him the Prowler uh, instead of the Iron Spider. Five hundred Quatlus that he's gonna die, <laughs> in the same way. I'm at six hundred Quatlus. Sorry. <laughs> oh, the game master is Triskelon. Anyway, the uh, more Star Trek. Eventually, they go through. They beat us bad guys. They go into. Uh, it's almost anticlimactic the way they figure out where he is. They bust in the building. They take down a whole bunch of security guards through their shield weapons and prowler power armor. 
they finally drag him out of there, and the weird guardian who's been torturing him this whole time fights them, but they're able to, because there's now three of them fighting back, able to actually win enough to get the hell out of there and escape. Um, so it was actually a pretty dramatic fight. I felt that after a huge build-up, I thought they'd be a little more protracted getting him out of there, but thinking upon it, that lasted just long enough. The great part about the issue isn't so much that he gets rescued, which is good, but it's the way you see the relationships between Miles, his father, his uncle, all build. You start seeing a bit of reconciliation between the adult men in his life, his father's uncle, where they're still not on the same page, but at least they could agree that this was good and they could help each other. Uh, you start seeing the parts where Miles has just been nearly broken. Physically, he's nearly completely broken. Mentally, he's on the verge. You can just see it in every picture. And the way he's talking after this is like the experiments. He's just kind of speaking like a, he's hurt. And that's really doing a great job showing character change and growth through every character in the book uh, including Miles's mom who is not a combatant but she is very insistent of look I'm a nurse I can help I will be outside the building to help you I'm not going to get shot at but you will need me afterwards if they got my baby for three days and you think he's being kept for some reason he's going to be hurt he's going to need help so Saldana has done a great job in building character through his issues. And this is really no exception. And I really like seeing him finally get pulled out of there. I really enjoyed seeing the growth of the relationships. Even more than I enjoyed the, the brief combat with the Guardian. Was the Guardian destroyed? No. No, Ooh. they basically just got the hell out <laughs> type things. It, there's still a very mysterious organization behind it all. You still don't know about their goals. And they might have put themselves in greater danger now. But it's all very interesting the way he's built. Because what's driving the story mainly isn't action or he'll get that villain. Right now it's all character driven. And that's how you make an interesting comic to get people to read it and go on. Mark says, Superman Smith is pretty awesome actually. Is he dead in the comics? Yes. But maybe. they. He. I think he's still dead. Uh, what else? Matthew says, Uncle seems to do so well in Spider Verse. Ants get younger though, so there's that. I guess. <laughs> yeah. They feed on the they feed on the life force of the uncles. Yeah. Well, as part of the hero's journey, where someone's got to die, uh, you know, Uncle Ben died for Peter Parker, but for Miles Morales, his universe is Peter Parker died. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's where. So his, his he was uncle, a good uncle. His uncle doesn't have to die, but he probably will. We're going to continue with Alistair Smythe fighting Rose would have been fun for Smythe. <laughs> Smythe was evil. Uh, so I really enjoyed this. I love the character-driven stories of it. I feel like I know every character in the book. Well, not every character, but especially the father, uh, his dad, Uncle Aaron, and Miles a bit better, and the mom, a bit better after this. And I really want to see more about their stories as well. Um, and I'm really curious what comes next after this. I hope Judge by the way he's written these before, I don't think we'll get a lot of Tom King navel-gazing of, they broke me, They how could I be the spider where the darkness is within? You know, I don't think we're any of that crap. Maybe like an issue of it. And maybe there's always going to be that background of like this terrible thing happening, but it's not going to dominate his life because he's a hero, they get over crap. 
Yeah, this is definitely something that seems like not a fundamental character change, but just giving him something to overcome. Right. Super enjoyed the issue. Uh, art by Havergrown, again, really strong. I really enjoy his art. Great use of color. Uh, he could play a comedic element and play a serious element. The characters always true to model. They look like people when they move and not robots. Um, he's really great at setting a scene as well. Uh, so, yeah, just really loved it. Colors popped nicely. Uh, I'm going to give it three and a half stars. Really enjoyed the book. Really enjoyed the Great book. Highly recommended. For Miles Morales, Spider-Man number nine. Check it out. It is uh, The Miles Morales Spider-Man books are currently the best Spider-Man books. That's just the way it is. This is from someone who's reading all the Spider-Man books. This is the best one. Unless you really, really like Deadpool. If you really like Deadpool, Spider-Man Deadpool is pretty good. But you got to really like Deadpool. Had to say that. So what are your thoughts? What do you think of this? What do you think of Miles Morales' Spider-Man number 9? Did you have different thoughts about this issue? Did you want to see me get tortured a little more? Did you want to see me get broken and turned into some sort of killer? Um... Do you think the idea of his ex-Shield agent dad and ex-Supervillain uncle breaking him out because it's kind of anticlimactic that he should have been Spider-Man and saved himself? Uh, let me know, because you might be right. You could change my mind of that. I thought it was good seeing the family coming together. And if you have other suggestions for future reviews, please let me know. Thank you very much. Now in Garthon's comic poll, we're going to talk about Event Leviathan, number three. Why is it Event Leviathan? Because it's Leviathan, and it's an event. And that's what they decided to call it. It's this kind of name that you have going as a project name for a while. And then the no one decides on anything better. It's just like we, we've been calling it for this for so long. <laughs> Let's just go with it. That is an excellent point, And I think you might be right. Because it couldn't. I, I guess they didn't want to call it Leviathan. Because then you're sort of anticipating it's another book. But I guess it's so... better than like. The noun of noun, you know, instead of calling it like the tears of Leviathan or the grip of Leviathan, mm -hmm. you know, the dogma of Leviathan, you know, it's nothing like that. Yeah, I still think it's just it's a geometric term for referring to that area before the or just something on the Leviathan. Right. Just before you get into the Leviathan, this is where you are. That could be it, too. Uh, this is a six-issue mystery thriller. This is issue three. Written by Brian Michael Bendis. Art by Alex Maleev. Colors by Alex Maleev. And a cover by Alex Maleev. Um, Alex Maleev's art invokes to me a 1930s slash 40-ish feel. Not in like how comics were done then, but how the covers of pulp novels were done. Um, it's dark. It's gritty. It feels real yet unreal at the same time. And there's always like this noir hint of violence behind everything. And that really works for this book, where the big super agencies in the DC universe were all taken down at the same time by this mysterious force called Leviathan, who is actually a person. Last issue, uh, teaming up together, the Questron, Lois Lane, Batman, Robin, Green Arrow, did I say Green Arrow? Uh... Team uh, and Hunt, the new Huntress. The cover tell a story about the book. It does. The uh, all teamed up together, and they decided that Leviathan, the guy behind everything, must be the Red Hood, or 
What's it? Jason Todd. Former Robin. They decided it must be him because only he had the he had the skill set to do it. And it ended with them attempting to capture him, as he you know jumped off a building and you know started shooting at them. This issue picks up with all of them in the Fortress of Solitude, which is now in the Bermuda Triangle after it got blown up. Long story. We're not going to talk about that because it was not a good long story. So currently, the Fortress of Solitude is in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. And you see, like, all the people who teamed up previously are now hanging out in the Force of Solitude because Lois Lane invited them there. And they're all, like, kind of points to me like, this. it's someone's fault, it's not my fault. You know, I can hear you all over. It was... So, while they're kind of pointing fingers, questions kind of looking around Superman's, like, treasure trove, old capes, old ebony. So, you know, basically his, you know, his bat cave. Is he up a dinosaur? Yes, he has a dinosaur. <gasps> Superman does have a dinosaur in the Fortress of Solitude. It's it's a stuffed dinosaur. Oh, it's not a real so... walking around dinosaur. He can fix that with robot parts. He could actually. He has the technology. <laughs> but in it, they start talking to each other. Oh yeah, uh, Plastic Man's there too because he's also a detective. They start kind of going over. Okay, what happened? What went wrong? And you get this nice little back discussion of all of their interactions when they were fighting Jason Todd trying to stop him and trying to bring him in as Leviathan and he does a pretty good job you basically see that from everyone's point of view what happened how he fought them off and he had little moments with each of them as he was trying to get away um, like basically questioning why Lois Lane is in on it like why are you even here how do you think you got involved in this and as everyone else is trying to accuse her, she's like, you know, why, you know, Lois Lane Daily Plan. She's, you know, basically just start doing an interviewer. And she's like, why are you run? Why are you fighting your own family? Why are you doing this? And he's like, basically tells her, because obviously I'm the patsy for this. She's like, what do you mean? Like, look, it's too perfect. It's too perfect that I would be doing this. This fits my psych profile perfectly. I hate these agencies. I would do all this to take them down. I've actually thought of doing this. You ask Batman about it. I lose sleep running the numbers in my head over the body count these agencies cause and how I could take them down. I've thought of this hundreds of times. But I would never... But I didn't do it. But someone did and left everything to make it look like I'm the one who did it. I actually kind of respect that. Um, and it starts getting lost like, wait... And it's like, he's like, how do you know you're not it? Because you were based on this too. And then it's like, uh... And then he eventually tells her, I think you should be focused on where Amanda Waller is. Amanda Waller was our target number one. Of course she was. And now, think about it. Amanda Waller is the architect of this entire world of spies and superpowers. She birthed all of this. If I was Leviathan, and I was trying to shape the new world... I do not rest until her head's on the pike. My followers, we would demand it. And Waller, find Waller, and you'll find Leviathan. And then, you know, he bats off a couple of green arrows, arrows, which, of course, are like expo are like net arrows, which are netting someone else. And then he escapes. Which brings everyone to say, yeah, you said you were after uh, back in real time. Wait, he's told you that? Yeah. You said you had Waller. Yeah. Where? Here. We brought her here. They're like, what? And they immediately start searching the entire area, and they find a listening device. 
To which, of course, they're like, this is a Argus listening device. Hey, Kryptonian robot, how can you detect this? Oh, it's currently invisible. To my, it's invisible to my sensors. It's like, are you not... Uh, where is he? Uh, he says, obviously I had uh, serious concerns about the biggest spy in the world hanging out here. But it's not my super Kryptonian secret, super secret Kryptonian fortress. To which Batman says, and you are not the most... Tr and you are not the most trusting man in the galaxy. Well, he's more hopeful than trusting, but... Uh, Neither is my resting face. To which Damien goes, found it! As they find it's like, eh, you're kidding. Kellex, you're the Force AI. How did these get by you? It's like, I cannot protect this. <laughs> says Damien, we're totally copying this. Uh, which I found entertaining. So basically, and at which point they're like, oh crap. Waller's been listening to everything we say as we try to figure out what's going on. Which of course goes to Waller, who's in like Mexico at a, you know, hanging out at like a cheap motel. <laughs> Who immediately, upon them, you know, Green, Green Arrow starts yelling, We will find you, Waller! You won't get away from us! She immediately shoots the thing. You know, does the super slow. Well, this place is burned. And she walks out. And as she's getting in her junky old pickup truck, the teleportation signal happens, and Leviathan shows up. And, of course, being Amanda Waller, she has to be badass and say, I know who you are. Twitch responds, oh, Bluffy Bluffer. No, you don't. And then, when they his followers start pouring in their threat, they threaten her a little bit in the, the way that only Leviathan can, in that very calm, very matter-of-fact, almost congenial way he has. The world's greatest boss way. That's right. He deserves his world's greatest boss mug. <laughs> uh, so. But basically, it's like, what it says, like, uh, so is this my kidnapping detail? Or firing squad? Uh-huh. Well, then say goodbye to the Janus Initiative. Oh, a bait! You're hilarious. We thought you were going to offer me more, like, like more. We thought we were hoping you were going to offer us one of the mother boxes. It's like, yeah, if you think I would. At which point, a voice comes above. Miss Waller, as Superman appears hovering above them. Are these men bothering you? And that's where it ends. Ooh. So, really interesting book. Really great super spy feel to it, especially. The ending was neat, where you see, get the, it's kind of like, because the arch is a great turn from like an almost an enclosed, dark area. In the, like, the Force of Assault is all drawn as blue, dark, enclosed. Like, you always feel like you're, they're cramped there. Much like the detectors there are running in circles. They're stuck. They have nowhere to go. But, when you see Waller, it goes to the stark contrast of this darkness to everything's almost painfully bright and washed out and there's emptiness and nothing as she's in the middle of the desert so art wise that's a fantastic contrast to show where the different positions are where they feel boxed in but she's alone she has nothing and then when it comes Leviathan starts coming in it's a really nice moment. But the best parts, of course, are where the detectives are breaking down what they know and talking about how Jason and Todd got away from them. And even him saying, yeah, I agree. I suspect me too. Which, of course, doesn't mean that it's not him. He might just be throwing them all off because he's smart enough to do that. But really interesting read. Brian Buckleberry does a great job with this kind of thing. Um, this is the same guy who did Infamous Iron Man, which is still one of my favorite series. Uh just a fantastic book. Highly enjoyed it. Didn't super love it. 
but I really, really enjoyed it. So it doesn't quite get the Garthon Gold Standards of four stars, but it's going to get three and a half. I know that's the second three and a half I've given today, but three and a half stars for Leviathan number three out of five. Really, really entertaining story. If you don't like well-crafted and built detective stories, you're gonna and you want to see more haha punchy punchy, or you're not gonna like it. But if you want to actually think and read, it's a really good series so far. Really enjoyed it. Vent Leviathan, number three. Full screen. So, what do you think of this? Am I off base here? Do you think this is just a little too boring? Am I reading too much symbolism into the, like how the art style changes or anything like, oh, Garthod, that's just someone who's just drawn a desert. Come on. Let me know. Uh, have you been reading Event Leviathan? Do you enjoy it? Where, who do you think Leviathan is? Because apparently it's someone everyone knows. Um, I'm going to go and I'm going to lay my bet right here. Leviathan is Booster Gold. You heard it here first. Booster uh, Gold. I'm going to go with the pandas that I keep riffing about, referencing, oh God, one of those old Batmanisms. But I'm, bet, I'm betting pandas. Oh God. A specific panda? <laughs> no, no, no. They're, they're a hive organism. <laughs> All the pandas are working in union. They have an overmind. Leviathan is actually two baby pandas stacked on top of each other. <laughs> no one would have expected it. <laughs> Except, one man. Except one man. Because of what he remembered from his childhood of weeping over an ice cream cone that a panda had stolen and then thrown back at him because it didn't even need the salty flavor uh, of vanilla. It just wanted to see his tears. Oh, God. The salty tears of pain. Down Nomad says, depth is greater than action. I agree completely, Down Nomad. And this book has some serious depth to it. Brian Michael Bendis, when he's on point, is incredible. And he is on point with this series. So, three and a half. Thank you very much, everyone. Next up is Swordmaster, number two. Written by Shuizu and Greg Pack. Art by Gunji and Ario Anandito. Colors by Gunji and Rochelle Rosenberg. Covered by Gunji. I have to say it that way because it's all caps. It's all caps in the book. I. They only have one name. Or is it is that two names, but they only put it together for the anglicize it. I don't know. Is but... Gunji another pseudonym for Sean Murphy? <laughs> if it is, Sean Murphy's style has changed a lot for this book. <laughs> he's branching out. He's branching. Uh, he's worked for Marvel as well, apparently. So, um... <laughs> Basically, uh, this is part of the initiative. Uh, Swordmaster and Arrow are books from Asian authors and artists that Marvel is publishing in America. Uh, they're made for Marvel. It's not like they're taking a manga and republishing it. Uh, Greg Pak is doing the adaptations, and also in the back of the book, uh, that's why it lists uh, two writers, two artists, you know, things like that. There's a second story in the back of the book, which kind of gives you a, another perspective of the character. And that one's still by Greg Pack. But the main story, Swordmaster, Shizu. Last issue, we got introduced to uh, the main character, who's uh, Lin Lee, whose dad was a archaeologist who came across a magical sword and then has gone missing under mysterious circumstances. He's been trying to find his father. At the end of the last book, a mysterious package showed up 
being delivered by a very creepy delivery agent who looked like there was something very wrong with him as his eyes were all twisted and buggy and his hands all were creepy. Um, this issue starts off with him accepting the package and the creepy delivery guy kind of like zombie walking away. You would think at this point, teenager Lin Lee would be like, that was very strange. I'm worried about what this, this box, what is in this box supposedly for my father. But he opens the box. And he starts checking what's in the box. As the UPS agent behind him starts turning into a monster. The box is a puzzle box. Uh, which we established in the last episode, he knows how to build and is a master of. So, he starts taking apart the puzzle box. He actually says to himself, it's like, uh, only you would send me a box that only I could open. I wasn't good at these puzzle boxes. I'm going to figure this out, Dad. And I'm going to find you. It's the last thing I... Wait, what's this? He finds this big... What's in the box? <laughs> in this box is a big red glowing gem. And that's when the monster UPS agent... Well, he's wearing brown. I guess UPS. Just delivery agent. Uh, starts uh, trying to kill him. Uh, so actually there's a nice running fight through his house. So he's trying to get away from this thing. Because he's not a great fighter. Uh, unlike ev almost every other character you would see in one of these things. Like, oh, I've been training martial arts since I was in the womb. And now I had a good little fight. <laughs> No, he, he's like, oh, crap, and he starts running. Um, he does try and fight back a little bit. He knows some martial arts, and he finds out that the wood the box was made out of actually hurts this guy, which explains why they never tried. They didn't open the box themselves. They were waiting for him to open it, and then they were going to take the gem inside. The magical... Not, not a bad plan. But they could have also used a hammer. No, I, it's magic, man. That's not how okay. magic works. Get a magic hammer. And maybe the wood is actually too strong to, for a hammer to break. Mm, magic wood. It doesn't look like regular wood. Magic wood. So <laughs> they uh, eventually through the running, running through the house, fighting, he he runs into the sword which he has hanging on the wall, which cuts him. And he's like, "Oh crap!" And then the monster about to kill him, and then the sword animates and starts flying around and cuts off the monster's arms. And then kind of floats there, so which is really handy to have a magic sword on your side, uh, as it defends him, like chopping up the monster. Which then goes to, on the cover, you see the uh, the attractive woman who looks like she could punch things. Uh, she apparently has already dispatched two of these monsters in the city. It's how things like this box made of kryptonite. It's monster kryptonite. Monsterite. Right. So she's beaten up two of these things already. And she has a drone flying around looking for the third and finds him trying to kill Lin Lee. And also seeing that the sword has been activated somehow. She's like, what is... So she's probably an agent for some shadowy organization. So she reports in and says, oh, this situation has escalated. You're not going to believe this, but I think I found the sword master. And he's about to be killed. So she... He's trying to command the sword to, like... He tries to pick up the sword. He can't pick it up. He tries to command the sword to start killing the monster, and it doesn't listen to him. He tries, decides to run away, and the sword won't let him leave. It, like, starts floating in front of him, pointing at him. He's like, what? I, what? I thought you were trying to help me! The sword is an overleveled Pokemon. Pretty much. There are sword Pokemon. Um, there's a sword one and a shield. Oh, it actually turns into a shield. Anyway. Um, at which point, while the monster's about to get him again... Now that it has no arms, but it's still, you know, Black Knighty attacking him. 
Uh, she bashes through the windows and kicks the monster in the head. Saving his life. So we finally get an intro. This book has taken a while with the intro. I guess Arrow is too. This issue was, in was almost all action of him running and trying to figure things out of what's going on. But the main story is a really quick read. It's interesting. I still don't find Lindley a very likable character. Um, it's kind of self-centered so far. He hasn't really been too much of a jerk to anyone, except for people who kind of deserve it, but it's like he doesn't pick up the clues very quickly, you know? And the second story in the book is Swordmaster Shang-Chi in Masterclass Part 2, where Shang-Chi is basically trying to teach him, look, you're a superhero now. Rules are different. You can't just go, like, threatening people trying to find out where your father is. Uh, this story takes place... The main story takes place in the past as his origin. The backstory takes place in, like, the present, where he's semi-mastered the sword. And now he's in America. Uh, but in the second story, Shang-Chi has a nightmare where the sword master, like, turns evil and tries to kill him, or Lindley. Uh, which then turns into them realizing that someone is after them. So they suit up real quick. Is Shang-Chi an existing character? Absolutely he is. Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. He was an Avenger for a while. He has a movie coming out. Uh, but as they run, they get into... Because uh, Swordmaster is impetuous and wants to fight and not run. Shang-Chi's like, no, uh, I'm sensing these guys are beyond your level. We need to keep going. But he stops to fight, and there's, he's surrounded by these giant ogre... Look, Roman warrior looking guys who uh, overpower them. And they take down two of them, but they get overpowered. And it turns out those guys actually were the minions of Ares, the god of war, who in the first story you learned took great interest in the Swordmaster's weapon. Because that weapon was meant to kill the Chinese god of war. And as another god of war. A sword meant to kill gods of war are very concerning to him. But uh, the backstory looks like he takes them both on. They drop the sword. He picks it up says, you should thank me. A sword like this will be doomed for a mortal like you. Instead of finding his true glory in the hands of Ares, the god of war. It's an okay story. It's an okay sub story. Gets you an idea of where his position is in the world. It's kind of fun to read. But it still follows up on this idea of like, you're a tyro and you suck. And this story has kind of proved that he's a tyrant. He sucks. So it's hard to get behind and like the character where in every story he's been in so far, he's kind of incompetent. He's really good at puzzle boxes, really bad at everything else. Um, he's really bad at listening to people. He's really bad at following orders. He's really bad at learning from his mistakes. He's good at tricking people and he's good at puzzle boxes. <laughs> Shang-Chi, you're a level noob. These are level 25. You need, need to bail. Um, the art I find interesting. It's not terrible. It's fun, pretty fun to read, actually. Uh, the cover actually doesn't look that great, I don't think. There's something yeah, like almost amateurish about the cover. Yeah, it's very expected because, especially the poses. Um, it's not like it doesn't sell what this is specifically about. It's kind of like right. Well, the thing is, that's. Those elements all appear in the comic book. The floating sword, hey. running the gem, holding the gem and running, the monster, and the girl who punches things. 
but the monster looks like more of a wizard in that the scene yes guy doesn't look like he's solving a puzzle box he's just getting away with the gem she's punching things There's but you don't really get a sense of the style she could also just be saying yeah yeah she might just and be flying course... through the air or something yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it reminds me of a, the cover reminds you of 90s enemies is more hockey i agree yeah, like I said, it, it, there's something about it looks a little amateurish. I'm not yeah. saying which, in no way do I mean, oh, I can do better. Hell, no, I can't. Oh no. But uh, looking at like we were just looking at Alex Believes art or uh, Javier Garon's art, we, who we looked at earlier today, and then you look at this, it looks amateurish by comparison. You know what? It, it, it's very direct. It kind of reminds me just of like a very classic movie poster. Kind of like you've got all the elements just right there. Right. And, and there isn't a whole lot of other composition. It's just a sort of right. feature Right, which, which was the goal. Which was the goal. And yeah, it, it, it's a serviceable cover. Yeah, it's not a terrible it, cover at all. There's been some terrible covers. This was not Oh, terrible. yeah. Yeah, it does the job of a cover very well. Um, but it's sort of like it, it is first and foremost a cover versus its own work of art. Valdar says they've got the pom pom skirt. She looks like a cheerleader. Yeah, she does. And Mark Hawkins says the punching pose is the same used by Aiko and Mink. Yeah, yeah. Aiko for Project Aiko and Mink from from Dragon Half. I, oh yeah, I liked Project Aiko when it came out a million years ago. So yeah, it's. Uh, but is it interesting read? I still want to. Nothing about it has been bad. I just think the main character isn't someone I'm really that interested in right now. And for the stories you're telling me, it doesn't seem like I should be because it just seems like kind of a punk. Um, I haven't found anything really relatable to him yet. And you have to be able to relate somehow to a character. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. He might end up being fun. Uh, but even there are some major animes where the main character is like really unlikable. And Heathen Dog complains about those endlessly. It's like, I hated this main character. Why do I care what happens to him? And that's kind of where I'm at with uh, Swordmaster right now, where I haven't seen anything really likable about the main character. Even his friends don't seem to like him very much. So, but it's not bad. The art is pretty strong. It was dynamic art throughout. It's fun to read. Um, I would call it an above-average comic because I. it does have two stories in it, and they both tell different aspects of the character. I'm going to give it three stars. Because I've definitely seen way worse art, and I've seen way worse storytelling, and way worse characterization before. Early Yugo uh, Yamayugi was pretty much evil. Yeah. So, I'm going to give it three stars. Thought it should be four. Oh, you Balhar. I haven't given a single four star today. Nothing deserved it. I gave the four star. <laughs> That's right. Even after all the commentary. What? Oh, Balhar. <laughs> He's not here, so he has to mess with someone. No, I, I, I knew that was going to be a three star. All right. But, I mean, the one last thing I'd say about the cover, I'd much rather have something like this well, than what was it, the last Fantastic Four book that you did? Oh, yeah, with that weird, yeah. The, where they were on the bikes, and it the, just their looked... anatomy is all weird. They're all stretched out with giant buggy eyes. Yeah, yeah. that was that was very unusual. Valdar says he's her worst comic that results in a four. Hmm, maybe. Mm, maybe. Not with his main character. Yeah, Duncan does have a Heathen Dog name tag. We've explained that earlier, Mahawkman, because I don't have a yeah. Duncan tag. And my production manager said his computer was broken and that he couldn't uh, fix the slides. Am I? Is it just Max's plan that I replaced Heathen Dog? I think it is. I'm saying that so Heathen Dog now starts plotting against Max Liao. <laughs> 
and it turns out I'm Leviathan. Oh, that. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> Valor says this this dude does seem like a tool. Max, yes, Max does seem like a tool. No, uh, yeah, the main character in Stormus does seem like a tool, Lindley. I I don't like him yet. He doesn't give me a reason to hate him. I just kind of like, come on, man, get in there. It, it kind of does have that sort of being a little bit. Uh, I mean, he he's got a little bit too much of the protagonist vibe to him that he's got all these character traits and because he's a protagonist he's failing upwards yeah that's what it seems like right now being a character arc so you're feeling more the inevitability of the plot versus an organic story right and that's part and that i like to call that the rodimus prime problem relating to the original transformers animated movie where hot rod was kind of a tool the whole film and then, just because he's there, he gets the Matrix of Leadership, and he's got the touch and saves the world. It's like, whoa, and now you're cool? You were a tool the whole time. And now I'm supposed to like you? No one liked him. No one liked Rodimus Prime. No one did. That's why it never... Anyway. Thought I said his buddy's a third world death is trying to practice real surgery. You know, sorry, you talking about Max or Lin Lee? Uh, he claims he's doing surgery. Uh, whereas then there's me who is doing brain surgery. Ooh, I don't do that. Ooh. All right, so let's wrap this up. What are your thoughts on this? We've heard many other people's thoughts. What did you think of this, this whole thing? What are your thoughts? On, oh, doing brain surgery on his system. I thought he actually had a live brain in front of him. I was excited for a second. Brain's Lair, you still excite me. Valder says if you do brain surgery on me, it's only going to be minor. There's not much between his ears. I disagree with that. You're smart enough to like the Legion of Myth. Therefore, you you have a ginormous brain. Uh, What are your thoughts on Swordmaster? Am I off base? Do you think this is just how a lot of Asian protagonists are built? Uh, Judging by Kung Fu movies I've seen, that actually might be true. Uh, Or how other manga characters are built. Let me know. And if you have any suggestions for future comic reviews, please let me know. If you want more Garthon, find Garthon, like Garthon, share Garthon, subscribe to Garthon on YouTube and Legion of Myth on YouTube and Twitch. Join! You see full streams of anime, comics, games, members only, chat and giveaways, monthly Q&A, leaves members, and YouTube membership accounts towards Patreon giveaway goals where we give away more stuff on our streams. And you can see more Garthon, Garthon's comp full segments, Yakuza Kiwami playthrough, team-ups with that heathen dog dude and others. And coming soon to my role-playing recycling segment. And don't forget Sundays when I stream Final Fantasy 3 on my old Super NES for your entertainment and edification. Thank you, everyone. Be a legionnaire. Rox is in Yashin likable in the first two. That's true. He wasn't either. Like, sometimes it takes a while for the character to become likable. I'm waiting for that to happen. It's only been two issues. So we'll see. But judging by the sub-stories, it looks like he never gets better. That's the problem. Anyway. Now time for the RNG, where we talk about random things that roll across our Legion with brain stems. And in this month, for the RNG, I want to let you know, subscribe to Legion Myth. Subscribe! Subscribe! And I want to let you know, your fandom is wrong. Oh. Good night, everyone. Brazilian's <laughs> theory is to stream on SuperNest. Is that possible? Yeah, I have a capture card and some converter cables, and it works. All right, your fandom is wrong. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this for many reasons. And it's because I have to see stuff all the time. Whether you like Cat Girls, Warhammer, Doctor Who, whatever your thing is. 
no matter what you do in this world, someone's going to tell you that you're doing it wrong. They could be the guy sitting across the table from you at your extremely low-key 25-member cat girls slash Warhammer convention where all your mechs have to have cat girls and, and maid outfits, and you will still have them tell you that you do not appreciate it fully or that you are wrong in some way. And the problem with that is it's wrong. Their fandom is wrong, and yours is right. But that means your fandom is wrong, because all fandoms are wrong. Here's the problem going on today. Fandom has become a major phenomenon for almost every even small franchise. Where people, it's not enough just to like something, they are now able to so easily communicate into these congregations that at one time took major efforts behind letter writing campaigns, fan groups, and everything go through snail mail or later phone trees, 1-900 dial-up numbers. The Garthon, your fandom is wrong. That's true, it is! But now, thanks to the power of the internet, you have instant global communication, which allows people to form groups very easily, which allows these fandoms to come together very quickly, which means that people who normally would not be communicating are now communicating a lot, and so even though they like the same thing, they like it different and will tell each other that they are wrong for the way they like it. Which always happens when you get any large enough group of people together who like something, someone will get together and say, well, you're wrong because. Because only their way is the true way. And that is bad. Because no matter what happens, you are told your fandom is wrong. And that also goes to people who just don't understand your fandom in the first place. Like, why do you like them Star Trek warders? You should like the foosball, or the bowling, or polka dancing, or fishing, or the NASCAR. <laughs> why don't you take a craft beer testing? All these things that today will find normal, where it's okay for you to get together in large groups, wearing the uniforms of the people you like to watch, and discuss endlessly the minutia of the plays they ran, and how old teams used to do in the thing, because that's totally, totally different than what you're doing, talking about your old episodes of the Star Trekkers. But I want the craft beer. <laughs> you can have that too. That's another thing. You don't have to only like one thing. I see, I, I'm a part of a lot of different groups on different social medias. And the part that always gets me is when you see people who've come together under a common banner for one group who start arguing with each other and telling each other they're wrong because they happen to disagree on one very small facet of something. Or they want to correct someone as to how they like something. It's like, no, 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 that person actually isn't cool. You should like this. Or, no, 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 you're not understanding the, how deep that actually is. That's why I don't appreciate that. Grethel only sort of likes it. Oh, I still got the stars up. Damn it. Yep, you still got the stars. Someone should have warned me that earlier. I could have, but I mean, it made it very cheery. So, but thank you for warning me about that. Great. Whole thing's unusable. I was also busy entertaining the cat. Redo it all. Redo it all. Up, oh, back from the start. Start over, people. So, um, here we go to everyone's favorite meme. Just uh -oh. let people enjoy things. <laughs> yeah. You don't need to be the ultimate arbiter of what's right and wrong in your particular fandom whether it's NASCAR or Doctor Who or Babylon 5 
or going LARPing or your Civil War reenactment group. It's okay for other people to like things or even the same thing as you differently. Even if you find it really strange that someone really needs their Captain Picard furry outfit, that brings them joy. And it's not hurting anyone. And you could actually find common ground with people. And that not that the point? If your fandom involves telling people that what they're doing is incorrect because it doesn't align with what you're doing, you are the one who's incorrect. Because what you're there for is because you found a feeling of belonging, a feeling of understanding, and a feeling of joy within that. And trying to deprive other people of that just so you could hold on to some idea of conformity and canon law of your own head is wrong. I gave that target great applause. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Don Owen says, not a today thing. Human nature to include actually from the group is a power play theme, but not so beneficial traits. That said, idiocracy is real. Yeah, I was actually going to make a comment uh, something along those lines because recent um, exploration of basically why humans are the way we are is um, really kind of taking a look at the concept of group selection, not as a real thing in evolutionary biology, but basically something we invented as a way of operating as in doing a lot of in-group out-group stuff so for individual sort of how you manage to deal with this insanely complex optimization problem humans tend to think about things in a kind of a couple different ways as in one is where your own benefit is so basically your own survival your own objective standing within uh within the system but also how the group itself is doing so you can enter into a group for shared benefit but at the same time there is an inclination that some people kind of let run rampant where they will still try to game the system and get as much power and authority within the group as possible and i'm bringing another animal right there so <laughs> you want it upsies um but it is something that i see play like play across every single fandom because anytime you have this group you'll have people who identify with the group who want to belong to the group but also can't help to try to jockey within the group, try to compete with others within that group. And that's just so arbitrary and against the nature of that congregation. Or is really deleterious. And you're seeing this with toxic fandoms where people take that in like that internal ba uh, battle so seriously, it begins to break down the entire, uh, entire structure. And that's what you see with some people trying to basically take down Star Trek or take down Star Wars. So just trying to do like get so uptight about how they want to decide where, how things are going it's not going out that way so they try to escalate the rhetoric it doesn't work so they escalate the rhetoric because it's just within the conversation within a fandom it's not actually affecting decision makers so they keep escalating and escalating and then you get these crazy conspiracy theories with star trek with star wars you have these harassment campaigns which are actively trying to hurt people as a way of influencing the group and it just gets into these crazy spirals but it all starts back to this idea that people try to take it upon themselves to decide how not only like what's right or wrong in an objective sense but who should or shouldn't belong in this group polarity system uh and Don, it's, Don it's, says exactly uh, it eventually kills the group dynamics mar hawkman says it's about making other people do things your way yeah, we're seeing like there was this even came up with Star Trek Online this week where people were trying to push Zeph films out because he was showing 
the Constitution class in D7 in a positive light. I mean, he gets trolled all the time as a high-profile person with a lot of authority. So people who are really sensitive to this power game will go after him as someone who is in this position. And I've even been subject to that myself a little bit, where people, because of what they thought my relationship to Kerptic was, decided that was wrong and then went after me a little bit. And it, it had nothing to do with any sort of actual ideological difference. It's all down to this power game where they wanted more authority, basically. And saw the best way of the, gaining that is to arbitrate who is in, who is out. I've seen this play out in Halo as well. And you saw this really play out in Halo 3 with two different types of starting weapons that became emblematic of different factions within the group. And it was about pushing people out more than trying to find an equitable compromise. So it was not good. And then people, and their only way to approach this is basically check those impulses at the door. Never look to your own fandom to advance yourself. Just enjoy for what it is. Take it objectively. Take it simply. And don't get into, caught in these games of trying to decide how people enjoy it. Right. Uh, Mark Huckman is saying you've seen people claim to be Predator fans. Saying people should boycott the new Predator movies for not matching their personal ideas of what the Predator film should be. And even I, you know, have my issues where I'm a big Star Trek fan. I'm not a big fan of the new Discovery series. But in no way am I going to tell anyone else, you should not like it. Or am I going to tell them, if you like Discovery, you don't really like Star Trek. Which I've seen people say, and I disagree with that. It's like, you could like Discovery and like Star Trek. You could say it's part of Star Trek. You say it's your favorite Star Trek. You can do that and still be part you, of the community. And you get these types of parallels too because, I mean, you get people who are saying like true gamers, non-true gamers, and it really kind of falls down to the same rhetoric of trying to create this ideal. This is your in-group. You're the arbiter of something. Right. So that gives someone the moral authority, which and, is so easy to assume. And, and a lot of times, not always, a lot of times you'll see it's like the original people there see new people come in and like, well, that's different than what I liked. You saw see that a lot with... Uh, people who, who like the Avengers. Some people loved them in the comics and then the movies came out like, yeah, the movie's great and now the movies are way bigger than the comics. And you see all these people who will wear a, a Black Panther t-shirt and all they know is that movie. They've never read the books. They have no idea what happened to the character previously. But they don't need to. You're allowed to still like Black Panther. You know, don't start crapping us like, yeah, well, did, you, did you actually read the second series where her his sister was first introduced? No, you don't need to. They didn't know all that. Yeah, because they're expressing something that's authentic and true to them. Right. And, and no matter what you have to say about that, that will remain. And it, you, like any criteria that you applied yourself for your fandom, it doesn't apply. It's like for me in the Foundry, I don't subscribe to the idea that to appreciate Star Trek Online, you have to be 100% into the Foundry. That that had to like you can't take one without the other. Of course you can't. Everyone did to some extent mm -hmm. because everyone has their own unique perspectives. And yeah, it's just so tiring to see this play out without a sense of irony. And it really kind of comes down to is that humans don't have a good framework for how to assess our own behavior. So a lot of things people do subconsciously because there's just no way of articulating. You can't really point out in, in a very easy way saying, "Oh, you're." letting group polarities dominate your thinking to a greater degree than is beneficial in this situation because we haven't had the theory developed to the point where it's entered common language. So 
all we can say is you're being a jerk you're being an asshole it's just all that uh other ways of referring to these kinds of ideas of how someone behaves when in the group setting and it just gets it, it doesn't solve the problem so we need more scientists well and that, that's that's true in many ways <laughs> uh, i need to keep going with science we're not done yet but the the whole thing is if you are part of a fandom and it comes to the point where you can't stand anyone around you maybe you need to leave and yeah. form your own I mean, individual appreciation is also a perfectly fine way yeah, of doing it, too. True. Like, you for don't me, need I to can... be a part of a fandom. Yeah, I like Farscape and Firefly. I don't interact on any basis with those franchises. Right, you so don't need you to join like the brown something... Yeah, if you want to have soul control, there you go. Yep. So, everyone's fandom is wrong. Yes. Just so you know. Yours is wrong, theirs is wrong. But all you gotta do is drink craft beer. Well, I don't like beer at all. <laughs> beer is terrible. Uh, let people enjoy things. If you see someone who maybe is incredibly awkward, that you think they're really weird and they're trying to talk to you at the convention, but you see them in their little group and they're having a good time, let it go. Don't tell them why they're wrong. Mm -hmm. That might be the one place they find acceptance. Or the one place they can feel good. Just let it go. You don't need to always be right. Be right in your own head. And just don't be a part of it. Because that is always the best thing to do. Because you have, I should hope, personal freedoms. And you could use that freedom to not be a dick and to walk to the next room. So what are your thoughts in this segment? What do you think of fandom? Do you think fandom should be all-encompassing? Do you think that fandoms have grown too large where you always feel like if you like them, you're supposed to be a part of the fandom? Or do you think that it's something best appreciated from afar? Let me know. And if you have any your, uh, your thoughts on fandom, and if you have suggestions for future RNG topics, please let me know. And as always, if you want to see what other RNG topics, go to the YouTubes, look them up, like, subscribe, share, join the Legion of Myth to get full streets of anime, comics, game reviews, members only chatting giveaways, and a monthly Q&A with Legion of Myth members. And it counts towards our Patreon giveaway goals. And see our other RNG segment videos on the YouTube for more random things, anime, comic, game, nerd topics, nerd news, opinions, commentaries. And if you have any suggestions for other topics, let us know. Thank you very much. Ah, oh, thank you. Thanks, Duncan. Yay! That Thanks was, for having me on again. Oh, it's always good to have you here. Very good. I like that. was a good breakdown, everyone. Tell the Sir Cheetos in charge. Yes. Marhawk says, I'll sometimes explain why I feel differently, but uh, not till they, that they're wrong. That's actually a good way to, to go. I like that. Mm -hmm. Enjoy your thing, Lesby. But you, sometimes you just want to cause a ruckus, though. I understand that. I understand that. Anyway. But that is all the time we have for tonight, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Remember, Gen Con 2020 is coming in the 2020 time with your 2020s. You don't need the 2020 vision, but hindsight is always 2020. And you will use that hindsight when you realize that you have missed out on your chance to join the Legion of Myth at Gen Con 2020. Ticket registration is January. If you are that, tickets go fast. Get on that. Save your ducats. Save your hoo hoo Save your quatloos. Save your dogecoin. And be there, Gen Con 2020. Streaming schedule, we talked about that. We stream, be there. Legion of Myth, join us on Discord. Awesome Twitter at Legion of Myth. Tweet us, we'll tweet you. Watch us live uh, 
on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Watch our videos on YouTube, youtube.com slash Get our gear, impress your friends, intimidate your enemies, find love in your Leech gear at shop.spreadshirt.com slash Thank you everyone for watching. Thank you all for our Patreons. Thank you for our Twitch supporters, subscribers, YouTube subscribers. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate all of you. <sighs> Remember, you only have one life. Live it well. Live it nerdy. Have a great farewell. Embrace the almighty Tardigrade. <laughs> <laughs>